Hey, this is Phil Nobile Jr. from Fangoria Magazine. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. October horror fans and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 183, the second of five weekly episodes for the 2019 Halloween season leading up to All Hallows Eve itself. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons. Thank you to all the ghosts and ghouls who support us in any way for making this show possible. Normally on Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classic films and new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. I am the Gill Man, Joel Robertson, and my creepy consortium of cohorts are... Hey, it's Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Wolfman Josh. I'm going to hide this tape when I'm finished. Uh, if none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. We typically do two types of shows on HMP. Our infamous theme discussions, where we pick a horror topic or subgenre to really sink our teeth into, and our Frankensteinian shows, where we just discuss whatever horror films we've been watching lately. 90% of our shows throughout the year fall into one of those categories. But at Halloween time, we do things a little differently. In the past, your HMP horror hosts have brought you complete franchise reviews of Halloween, Scream, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and more. You'll find links to all of those awful episodes in the sickening show notes for this episode at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. This year, we decided to try something new for Samhain. Every week this October, each of your horror hosts will be bringing you our top 10 movies for a particular decade. And this week's episode, it's our top 10 horror movies of the 1980s. We'll also be bringing you some fun additional segments for your Halloween season, so stick around. If this is your first time listening, this is a pretty atypical episode, and we recommend you check out the themed episodes on the sidebar at HorrorMoviePodcast.com to get a taste of our usual creepy content. And without further ado, let's get into it. All right, so let's get rocking and rolling on our 1980s horror movie list, our, our personal top tens, our favorite movies. Uh, Dave, do you want to recap for the folks what the rules of this game are? Absolutely. And we do have some rules in place that Wolfman Josh had come up with. Basically, we're going to be talking 15 movies, a top 10 list and five honorable mentions. However, we also have our official top 10 lists out on HMP for all of the hosts. And if the decade we're talking about, if we happen to have some movies from that decade on that top 10 list, we're going to talk about them separately, but we're not going to include them in our top 10 because we've talked about these movies so many times. So for me, for the 1980s, I had four movies on my official HMP top 10 list. We're taking them off. 
My number five then becomes my number one, and I have a new top ten list. However, instead of five, I only get one honorable mention. We can only talk 15 movies total. It makes it more interesting for the listeners, so we're not talking about the same movies all the time. I think it's just more interesting, and I was really going by favorites, which I mentioned last time. Yes, and I will say that for me, this will be very easy in the sense that I get no honorable mentions. (laughs) Because all five of mine are taken up by the fact that I have such a 1980s heavy uh, HMP top 10 list. Um, But that's fine. I don't think I've made any secret about the fact that it's my favorite decade, especially Mm -hmm. for horror movies. Uh, And that's, you know, that that is fine. I do believe that uh, Wolfman is going to give us a mulligan, so to speak, and allow us to post any potential honorable mentions that we had uh, in the show notes. So we will include those in the show notes for the episode. Josh, you want to say anything? Nope. (laughs) All right. right. So we'll go ahead and then kick it off with our number 10. Dave, you want to start us off? Sure. Okay. So the four movies that are in my top 10 from the 1980s, uh, going down from four to number one. Uh, Number four is Poltergeist, which we discussed in episode 55, the versus episode with the uh, original Poltergeist and the new one. Uh, Dr. Walking Dead was on that episode, actually. Number three, The Evil Dead. I discussed that in episode two, where I gave my uh, top ten list initially. However, I also discussed it on Father and Son Watch Horror, a new podcast with uh, Pastor Matt and his son Jackson. We recorded that in June of this year. We can put a link to that in the show notes. Number two, Hellraiser. We discussed that, obviously, on episode 157, where we kicked off our Hellraiser franchise review. And number one is John Carpenter's The Thing, which we discussed in episode 54, the uh, Versus episode for The Thing, which I believe we talked about all three of them, going back to the the one in the 1950s, uh, John Carpenter's, and then the new one that came out in 2011, the sort of prequel. Okay, so those are the four that were uh, taken off of my list. So now my new list, starting at number 10, is Angel Heart. From 1987, I believe, directed mm-hmm. by Alan Parker, uh, starring uh, Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro in a very interesting role. And it's about a detective who uh, has been hired to track down a singer who has gone missing somewhere in Louisiana. And as he's tracking the singer down, the people he questions, he goes back to request them only to find that they are dead. And that he himself is becoming a suspect in their murder. This has a lot of really dark imagery to it. It obviously delves into uh, some satanic material. And it's one of my favorite Mickey Work performances. I think this and then uh, Pope of Greenwich Village, one diner I like too. But I've always enjoyed this movie. And Mickey Rourke is a big reason why. But then Robert De Niro is gives such an... I mean, Alan Parker even said he was afraid of De Niro because of the performance he gave in this movie. And it is a very interesting Robert De Niro performance as well. Uh, Lisa Bonet has a part in it. And it really does sort of wind and it goes into some very dark places and it just gets darker as the movie goes on. I was going to say, I'm old enough to remember when Lisa Bonet was the most controversial cast member of The Cosby Show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and this movie was a big reason why. Uh, it's it's amazing. This is that Bill Cosby came out and really sort of chastised her for appearing in Angel Heart because she appeared uh, nude in the film while she was still playing the daughter in in the TV show while she was conscious. That's the, that was the uh, issue. Oh, well, that, that was the big problem. Yeah, I was going to be good and just simply say that's called <laughs> irony, kids, <laughs> and then Josh goes there. 
<laughs> I was going to try to be real subtle about it. <laughs> oh, that probably was the problem. He, he wasn't used to seeing uh, seeing them up and around. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, that was a nice way of putting oh, it, Dave. You know, and I will say, Dave, that uh, thank you for starting this off strong uh, with an excellent pick that will make my list really seem more hilarious <laughs> by comparison. Because... <laughs> um, but Josh, you had a, a bit of a concern about your 80s list and maybe the the tone of it. I also, mm-hmm. I had that thought about mine. I'm like, I wonder if, but then I thought I was like, I don't care. These are, these are the movies I love. These are the movies that if I could never see them again, I would be very, very upset. But because of that, there might be a little bit more horror comedy in mind, which I, I know some people have a problem with. But these are the movies that I love. So I, I, I again say to the audience, those of you out there, please share your lists in the comments for this show on horrormoviepodcast.com because we'd love to know your list as well. That being said, Josh, you want to tell them your movies from your original HMP list and then jump into your number 10? Yeah, um, so I had five films on my all-time top 10 list, so I will have zero honorable mentions here tonight. Um, My number five was An American Werewolf in London, which is a great horror comedy also my number four was day of the dead which we've long been promising a full romero that's um, a great one episode with dr walking dead so hopefully we can do that sometime in the near future my number three was the shining which we talked about on episode 138 that was winter with stephen king part one one of the best films ever made number two is the lost boys which could very well be one of my favorite films of any genre. I've been wanting to do a like a Vampire Hunters kind of episode, and I think that would be a fun episode to talk about this movie on. I know Jameson Newlander, who is one of the Frog Brothers, follows us on Twitter, so maybe we can get him involved as well. And number one is John Carpenter's The Thing, which Dave already mentioned, one of the greatest movies ever made, and we talked about it on episode 54, which was... My favorite versus episode of all time. I loved comparing the three different versions or adaptations of Thing from Another World. So, as Joel mentioned, my list is going to be <laughs> kind of weird. I am slightly embarrassed though, just because it's so <laughs> bizarre. I, here's the thing I, I added an additional limitation to myself. I decided I'm not going to include any movies from the big three franchises just to hopefully have less crossovers with you guys because i have a feeling i'm going to have a lot of crossovers it's just i feel like i would have to do a top 50 in order to not have a lot of crossovers because i just you know it's the 80s <laughs> <laughs> right exactly <laughs> at least five on my list are in the comedy horror classification for me and there's a couple maybe three to four that i would say people are going to say that's not horror at all I don't care. These are the movies, <laughs> as Joel said, that if I could never watch them again, I couldn't handle that outcome. And they touch the genre enough for me to put them in that category. Guaranteed, a lot of people are not going to agree with me, but that's where we're at. Uh, okay, so my number 10 on the list, with all of that having been said, is a little film called Return of the Living Dead. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, so this was the first film where zombies ate brains, which is one of my favorite zombie mythology points. Um, It's also, it was made as a comedy to really distinguish itself from the Romero films. Um, You know, the producer of this film, 
and Romero had a falling out and John Russo, he retained the right to use the title living dead um, from return of the living dead, which they made together. And so uh, he went on to make this movie, which was based on a novel he had written kind of. Um, and Romero went on to make, you know, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and that series. They really wanted this to stand out from those films, and so they added Faster Zombies, which was the first time we'd really seen this. First time we're seeing them eating brains. Uh, they're talking a little bit here. And, uh, you know, for me as a kid growing up, it was the punk rock elements of it that really got me going because I was a big fan of a lot of the bands on the soundtrack, like TSOL and The Cramps and The Damned, and so that stuff definitely added an additional level for me as well. But yeah, just a really fun. Yeah. I saw Where did I see that? It was, I might've just been on Wikipedia, but it was described as a mordant punk comedy, which I thought was maybe the best description <laughs> of it. I've ever heard. That is an excellent that is a, pick. That is a good one. Yes. Yep, 100%. And as a kid, I remember, and I know that the zombie has a specific name that, People have given it over the years, but the initial one that's in the barrel of trioxin or whatever the hell it's called that comes out. I think what it was with this movie and that zombie in particular that freaked me out. And it's the same thing with the Evil Dead 2 video art is that skull or decomposed head with eyeballs yeah. that are still there looking at you. There's something about that that I just found so creepy. And I as a kid, when I did see this and part two for quite frankly, which I'm a big fan of, part two less so, but I didn't find them hilarious. Like I remember, especially this one, I remember being scared by it. Oh, me too. <laughs> there were moments in this movie that freaked me out as a kid. And it also has this vein of almost existential <laughs> angst to it where you know, you've got these characters that are slowly turning and and the, the realization of what that means. And yeah, it's played for laughs and you watch it now as an adult, and you can see the humor in it. But again, as a kid, that really freaked me out. Yeah, and where this series ended up was not great. I think this film is really great. And I think part two is decent. You know, it's fun. Yes. I think the rest of the series is terrible, in my opinion. This one is definitely worth your time. Yes, that is an excellent, excellent pick. All right. So for me, my original movies that I had on my top 10 list that were all 1980s that make it to where I can't have any honorable mentions, but I'm not bitter about that at all. <laughs> I'm going to read them in the reverse order that they, how they were on my list. So originally my number 10 uh, from my top 10 list was Night of the Creeps, which is a classic. Uh, my number eight was Pet Cemetery from 1989. Evil Dead 2 was my number three. My number two was the always classic, The Stepfather. And number one, I know I'm really breaking new ground here <laughs> by saying it was The Thing from 1982. <laughs> but hey, when you're the greatest horror movie ever made, you're the greatest horror movie ever made. And uh, there really is no right. point in arguing. So for me, and I, I, th I feel like, again, both of you have set the standard. I know you're a little bit uh, self-conscious, though you should not be, in my opinion, Wolfman. Um, but I'm going to start us off with a bang here with my number 10, which is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, because I did not make that rule for myself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I honestly, <laughs> and I almost put, and I'm going to be honest with everybody, I almost put Halloween 4 because I have like this personal love. Like that was the Halloween that I like, first got, I think, more into horror movies, like at a, a deeper level. I remember seventh grade, my first Fangoria 
was the one when Halloween 4 was released, Child's Play had come mm-hmm. out, and Michael's on the cover. And I remember having that in math class and almost getting in trouble because I was trying to read it. And so that movie has this such a strong pull for me. And I honestly, especially just the opening, everything, feel like it has, of all the sequels, aside from three, it has such a wonderful Halloween vibe to it. But there is something about three because with three... It's a movie that has been so maligned over the years. Obviously, people accuse it of derailing the the series. And, 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 you know, to some degree, rightfully so, people weren't expecting that. And it was, you know, not false advertising, but I think uh, I understand why they might have been a little miffed. That said, revisiting it years later, because I saw it when I was younger, and I never think it was okay. But for some reason, seeing it several years ago for one of our Spooky Flicks Fests, I just fell in love with it. There's just something about the movie. The the plot at times is absurd. The things that happen are wacky, uh, but Tom Atkins is great. It has such a cool Halloween vibe. Like it, to me, it is to Halloween what a Christmas story is to Christmas. Like it's the kind of movie that you just could watch that time of year. It puts you in the mood. I love it. My number 10, Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. I think it's fun. I remember seeing it on cable all the time and uh, and enjoying it. I really enjoyed that movie. Michael Myers is my favorite horror icon, but I have a special place in my heart for Halloween 3. Yes. All right. So, of course, I did want to mention that Halloween 3 Season of the Witch was covered by you guys way back in the day, episode 27 in part one of five for the Halloween uh, movie series when you guys did that coverage. Yeah. One of my favorite franchise reviews we ever did. I can't believe it's been that long. Episode 27. Wow. Yep. 2014. Might as well just redo it. Yeah, I I, I would be down yeah, for that. Really, I, was, I wasn't a part of that one, so I'd be down for it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. All right. So number nine. Dave, you're number nine, sir. All right. Number nine. Speaking of movies that I fell in love with on cable TV, 1983's Psycho 2. Directed by Richard Franklin, Anthony Perkins, back as Norman Bates after several decades in a mental institution. He's released by the courts, even though um, Marion Crane's sister, Lila Loomis, I guess she went on to marry her sister's lover at the time, is protesting. Norman is back in the real world. He goes back to his old haunt. What I liked about this, I mean, it is obviously more graphic than the original. There's more blood and violence. It's more, more feels more almost like a slasher type movie. But Anthony Perkins in the part of Norman Bates. That's what I really like about this movie. And he's sort of better, but he's still a little nervous around women. He's still a little awkward. And you feel for him in this movie because you think if these people would just sort of leave him alone, he'd probably be okay. But that's not what happens. Uh, people turn up dead. People start pointing the finger at Norman. Other people are not willing to give him a chance, especially, you know, some of his co-workers at the diner where he's working. So it, it's really that. It's just how different it, I mean, tonally it's different, but there's also just that sort of difference of, of how you sort of feel toward Norman throughout this one. You know, you, you really think, just leave the guy alone. Just let him be. It's a, and it really is a strong sequel. I know a lot of people didn't care for it when it first came out, but I really loved it. I mean, it was written by Tom Holland, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, directed by Richard Franklin, and um, just the fact that Anthony Perkins is back in the role, I, it made it like really exciting for me to, to watch this. And I don't, it didn't matter where I picked it up on cable. If I picked it up with 10 minutes left, I'd sit there and watch the last 10 minutes. If I picked it up five minutes in, I'd watch the rest of it. It was just one of those kind of movies for me, and uh, that is my number nine. 
Yeah, I think the tides have turned on that film. I think um, people have come around to it. You know, I mean, it's hard to compare anything to Hitchcock. And so right. as a sequel to that original film, uh, you know, I can understand why people would be like, I don't know. That's you're kind of treading on sacred ground there. Nothing can really come close to that. But I really love all of the psycho sequels, yeah. <laughs> including four. Um, mm. I, I really, really like four. And yeah, and two is probably the best of those sequels. And yeah, I don't know. I kind of separate the sequels in my mind from the original. There's like the original film, and then I, I partition it, and then there are all the sequels, and then I partition it, and then there's like Bates Motel and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I, I, I really enjoy anything that takes place in the Psychoverse. Yeah, I, and I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, and I would like to third that because Psycho 2 is to me a movie that I I love and will always love and always appreciate Psycho. I saw it when I was like 11 at a hotel (laughs) for the first time. And it was always stuck with me. (laughs) Oh, I did. I was left alone in the hotel room and it came on. And I think I knew enough about movies to know that idea of what it was. And I watched it from Soup the Nuts, man. And it scared the crap out of me because we were straight up in a hotel in Tennessee and that's when I first saw Psycho. So it's always held a special place in my heart. That said, I love, love, love what you said, Josh. That's precisely what I do in my head. The partition. It's like Psycho is this movie unto itself. And then, to, and not to say that to denigrate two, three, and four, but they're in a different, it's just a different aesthetic. And it just everything about it is so different that I almost feel it's weird to say, well, I like this one better than this one. But that being said, and I think I told you this, Dave, a while back. I found after revisiting Psycho 2 in the last couple of years, we covered it not that long. I mean, in the last few years on uh, Retro Movie Geek, I think if given my druthers of I'm just feeling like sitting down and watching a Psycho movie, I'd rather watch Psycho 2. I've, and I know that I've seen Psycho 1 so many times that I could appreciate it as art. Right. But I don't. But if right. I'm just talking about I just want to have something on in the background or I just want to enjoy it, I would much rather put on Psycho 2. Wow. That's I something. cannot go that far, but I okay. but I was with you up until that moment. <laughs> up until that one, yeah. and then I lost and you. It's probably, it, it, it probably has something to do with the fact that it was 23 years before we got a Psycho sequel, and then we started to get a bunch of them together. So, you know, partitioning them off, it makes a lot of sense. Sure. I mean, if there was a Psycho sequel in 1965, it yes. would have been different. It would have felt different. It would have been much more in line, I'm sure, with that original, for sure. But this is also the perfect time to have one, because you would figure he would sit in that hospital for at least 20 years. Sure. Yes. So it, it's almost like they, they, they came in with the perfect time. And I'm not, I'm not saying they were waiting for 20 years to do it, but it just seemed like it, it, it was the perfect time to come out with a Psycho sequel. And uh, obviously the fact that slasher movies were so big at the time sure, uh, had something to do with it. But it's for me, it's it's done right. And it's funny because Quentin Tarantino says he actually prefers two to one at this point also. I've never heard him say anything negative about the first one, he just really does uh, admire the second one. Right. No, I, I definitely see that. It's easier for me to appreciate it if I compartmentalize you know, the first film, you know. I worship at the altar of Hitchcock, so it's hard for me to. <laughs> I do too, yeah. got to put anything else in the same ballpark as him. But. Yeah. Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent pick. All right, so Wolfman, you're number nine. Okay, my number nine is the other vampire film that came out the same year as the lost boys this is near dark it's one of the best vampire movies ever made for sure i know a lot of people even prefer it to the lost boys i'm not in that category but uh, i do appreciate this a great deal 
It's just a really grimy film. It uses the vampire mythology in a really interesting and exciting way. I think the direction is super strong. Um, I think what Bill Paxton brings to the film, I think he adds so much to it, you know? And so, yeah. uh, there, you know, we could go on and on about this. In fact, I guess we just did review this somewhat recently or talk about it on our women in horror episode back in 169, I believe that was. So mm-hmm. um, that was our guests review, but we all kind of chimed in a bit. So yeah, great film. Absolutely. It's my number nine. I will say, here's the thing. And it's going to seem contradictory for me. Near dark is probably my favorite vampire movie overall. It almost made my list, but I feel like I've championed it so much that it's so closely tied with my two and three favorites. I, I felt like, well, you know, may, kind of like the argument of we don't want to keep going over and over the same ground. So I picked something different, but I think that is an astonishing pick. I love that pick. I am so glad it's on your list. Cool. Yeah. That bar, that bar scene alone. Oh, it's I think, so good. Uh, makes it, it's, it's incredible. Paxton is just so great in, in that movie. Yeah. He's so fantastic. He's great in everything, yep. but he's so fantastic. All right. So my number nine, and this one I struggled with, there were several movies that I, I switched in and out of this spot, but I wanted this to be a movie that was uh, a special effects extravaganza. It's a movie, the video poster I had on my my wall, my my wall collage of horror that I had all through high school. And it is a movie that I remember when it would be on HBO. I even can in my head visualize the promos with Shawnee Smith screaming at the top of her lungs. And that is The Blob from 1988. <laughs> oh, nice. good one. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, and that is a movie that Jason Grooms and I covered way back. I mean, this we're talking like 2012-ish. I'm guessing maybe 2011 on Forgotten Flicks. And I went into it thinking it was going to be one of those. One of those where, well, yeah, I loved it as a kid, but I'm going to probably hate it now. I was shocked by how much I enjoyed the movie. It held up on so many levels for me. I thought the effects still looked great. I mean, obviously not every single effect is perfect, but as practical and sort of, uh, you know, the early visual effects go, you know, in that, that late 80s era, they hold up really well. It's got some really, I mean, when you're talking about a big ball of gelatin, basically killing people, the the way it does, it's very menacing. It's very disturbing. It's got uh, a fun cast. It's actually got Matt Dillon's mm-hmm. brother, Kevin, in a lead role playing sort of the, the rebel character. I guess he was supposed to be the uh, the replacement for Steve McQueen, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, uh, from the original. And then uh, Shawnee Smith, of course, who I was a big fan of. Dude, I had a major crush on Shawnee Smith at this. Yeah, so did I, dude. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And it was because of this movie. It was from this and from Who's Harry Crumb. I was just like in love with her. Yes. 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 <laughs> Me too. Me too. And uh, I know probably a lot of people know her most recently from what Saw, the Saw series. But yeah, she, she's in a lot of stuff. She's great. It also stars Donovan Leach Jr., who is in a, a, a side note, other really fun, uh, seldom talked about slasher flick from the 80s, around 88, 89, called Cutting Class, that also starred the wonderful Jill Sholand from The Stepfather and a very young and yet unknown Brad Pitt. So uh, he's also, yeah, he's also in uh, The Blob. Uh, I, I just, it's a fun movie, man. It, it, I would love to cover it sometime for the show, all of us talking about it. I just, I don't know when the last time you guys saw it was, but it is a really fun movie. That'd be a great versus. Yeah, sure, for sure. All right, so we are on to number eight. So number eight, Dave, what do you got? All right, my number eight 
is a movie we talked about way back on episode 41, When Science Goes Too Far. It is David Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh, I love that movie so much. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm actually thankful that was almost on my list. That, that, that one, The Blob, were the ones that I was battling. <laughs> That's well, great. Yeah, David Cronenberg's The uh, Fly. Just an amazing movie. Probably yes. Jeff Goldblum's. And Jeff Goldblum has given a lot of great performances. This is probably Jeff Goldblum's finest performance. He's a scientist who wants to transport through these pods and he does and there's a ends up being a fly in there with him and their dna's merge and just the transformation that he goes through and and it there really is just sort of a body horror a gross factor involved with this as he's changing the teeth fall out and and how he has to <laughs> digest his food is really pretty nasty the effects are just amazing but it's also the, the strength that this guy, you know, it's, it's changing his personality too because just how the DNA is just conflicting in his body and what he's going through. So he really does, not just physically, but also in every way sort of become a monster. And poor Gina Davis is left to deal with this. She's in love with this guy and, and he, watching him just first sort of become a superhuman and then just devolve into, into this beast. I think it's Cronenberg's best film and it's one that I don't revisit often because, like I said, there is a, it is a very gooey movie, uh, <laughs> but it's also it's also just tremendous. Yeah, so that that is my number eight. I love that movie so much. I want to recommend people if they have not heard it, go back and listen to that episode HMP number forty one. It's a really fun episode. It was the first time Matroid ever was on this podcast or anywhere on the Movie Podcast Network. That was yeah. kind of his MPN debut. Mm-hmm. was on that episode and uh he brought a lot to the table we talked about the atomic age and a lot of science versus religion kind of stuff it was a lot of fun yeah. we talked about godzilla covered altered states and uh dave yeah you actually called this cronenberg's masterpiece on that episode interesting i would 100 percent agree with that this was almost on my list and i want to second what wolfman said about that episode to this day i never remember an episode that i'm on and people say oh yeah remember that one up uh, no i don't remember any of that but I remember as a listener to HMP listening to that episode while on a road trip with my family. I don't even remember where we were going. I don't remember we were going to the Carolinas or to Tallahassee or wherever we were going, but we were on a road trip and I was, I listened to that the whole, a large chunk of the trip. Cause you know, it's HMP. So I had, it took up a lot of time. And so I listened to it the whole way <laughs> and I, I love, I remember just loving that episode. It's always stuck with me. Awesome. Very cool. Yep. All right. Wolfman. All right. My number eight is the fly. well that was easy (laughs) i'm glad this isn't the last episode because you went first that episode yeah moving on (laughs) all right so for me my number eight is going to be a vampire movie as well this is the one where i almost went uh near dark and uh, again near dark is just like one of my favorite movies period it probably is my overall like the one i think is the best vampire movie but there is one that I love to quote, especially a line about being so cool, Brewster. And that is the one and the only <laughs> Fright Night. Awesome. This movie was one of my earliest horror movie experiences. 
my cousin was about five years older than me, big horror fan. He exposed me initially to Friday the 13th. He is the reason why I saw Dario Argento's phenomena at the time known as Creepers when I'm like nine or 10 years old because I thought he said Critters and I completely misunderstood him. And this one he rented and this would have been right after he came out of video. And I remember he kept, normally he'd let me watch the movie. He'd just tell me to cover my eyes at key points. I guess he was pretty good at that point of figuring out where things were about to happen. But with this one, I remember he sent me out of the room a few times. And it was weird. Like I don't, he had never done that before. So I, it almost made it seem in my head worse <laughs> because he was making me leave. And so I would come back in, I'd watch a few minutes. Hey, you need to go out for this part. Go out, go out, go out. I don't know what's about to happen. You know, it sends me out. And so it, it always took this mythic you know, status in my head. And then of course I finally see it a few years later when I'm a little bit more mature and which is debatable to this day. <laughs> but I saw it and I loved it. And I, I love the effects. I love, I mean, Roddy McDowell playing what is a, a fantastic role, as, as, you know, as, as Peter Vincent. I love that. I just the whole horror host element. I'm a huge fan of horror hosts. And so having that there and you could just see Tom Holland, the writer, director of it, you could see his love and appreciation for that era and the subgenre of horror that uh, that campiness but then he treated it with such reverence and i, I loved it chris sarandon is i mean the whole freaking movie is amazing so yeah evil ed yeah you don't have to say anything else so that is my pick number eight fright night for real <laughs> 1985 it was it was also i'm gonna make sure i have this it was a uh, versus episode i know you guys did about the remake and the original yes. from 85 in episode 92 of horror movie podcast and full disclosure i still have not seen the remake what i like about the original and i'm sure i mentioned this in that episode is that for years old it was always like well are these the handsome vampires are these the feral vampires like salem's lot or are we getting like the franklin jello bella lugosi in this one you get both mm-hmm. that that is also another reason why this is on my list because i just think some of the the visuals that that movie conjures up in my head especially amanda bierce's face at one point <laughs> It's uh, is fantastic. <laughs> and I think that's really cool is you get to see the suave uh, sort of seducer and you get to see the monster. And yeah. uh, it's just awesome. You did bring that up on that episode. And we, in fact, we had a pretty long kind of theme discussion between the two Friday Night Reviews just on vampire films. It was a really good conversation, I would say. Definitely in like the top one or two conversations we ever had about vampires on the show. Awesome. Um, it's a really good episode. I would recommend people check it out if they haven't heard it, or even if they have, maybe. Excellent. All right, so you guys want to jump on our number seven? Dave, number seven. All right, number seven for me uh, is one that actually had already been mentioned. It is The Lost Boys. Nice. The movie that makes being a vampire look so cool. And that's one of the things I really love about it is these are just cool characters. But one of the things that I, I just remember is watching this again, and, and my sons were a little bit older, and my oldest son just never liked horror. And he's watching this with me, and it gets to the end where there's a showdown. The camera's just sort of hovering, and, and he says, you know, this is really sort of scaring me, but I can't stop watching. It's so cool. <laughs> and I thought that was something uh, pretty amazing because he had never reacted that way to a horror movie before. And that's one of the things I think that's just so great about this movie is it really does make being a vampire look like, boy, I, I think I really want to do that. I don't think I've had a chance to say too much about the Lost Boys that I can recall uh, on the on mm -hmm. the show. But I will say 
that it almost was on my list, but I was like, okay, wait a minute. If I put Near Dark and I put Fright Night and I put Lost Boys, now I've got three vampire movies taking up my list. I know how much it's been championed on the show. And because of that, I rationalized it in my brain. I'm super happy you're including it, Dave. But I, I rationalized as, okay, well, I know everyone knows how much Josh loves it. I'm sure Dave loves it. I, I feel like, you know, me putting on the list is redundant. Uh, but that being said, depending on my mood, this could easily switch out positions with Near Dark or Fright Night. You know what I mean? It's just one of those movies. I saw it when I was young. I just have a love for it. I My love is probably not as profound as Wolfman's, but it's, it is a definite love uh, for Lost Boys. It's just a fun movie, man. It's just such a great fun movie that if you've never seen it or if you know it is a younger viewer that isn't maybe even it's subjected to too much uh, horror stuff they're gonna get freaked out by certain parts it's just it's great and diane weist and anything is always awesome all right wolfman number seven number seven is a film that i've been wanting to feature review since i joined a horror podcast <laughs> back in the horror metropolis days and that is a little film from 1985 called demons oh i love demons i love that movie absolutely co-written and produced by dario argento but uh directed by lamberto bava and this is one of my favorite horror movies of all time i kind of want to wait and feature review it it's so good though and it's just um i feel like it's pretty underrated i don't know if it's because it's an italian film it's kind of lesser known but it is a really fun film the basic setup is that these people go to a screening of a film in one of those old um, cinema palace. Yes. Yes. The old movie palace type place. Yeah. Like an old movie palace. Yeah. And they're going there to see a slasher film and something happens, which I won't reveal, but basically it's almost like an outbreak starts. (laughs) And uh, now people are fighting for their lives stuck inside this movie theater. And it's really awesome in that sense. It has kind of like the feeling of an outbreak film. Mm -hmm. I would think that this was probably a big influence in some ways on from dust till dawn as well, but it's just a really fun movie. And if you haven't seen it, this is like a must see slightly lesser known, at least compared to the rest of my list. 80s horror film. That is such a good choice. That's a great pick. Absolutely. Yeah. I haven't seen Demons in a very long time. I remember I saw it multiple times when I was in my teenage years, and I loved it. I think it is a fun, just gory, (laughs) great movie. And, of course, you mentioned Lamberto Bava. He's the son of Mario Bava. So, I mean, it's got a great pedigree behind it. It's, uh, yeah, that is an awesome choice. This is also a really early postmodern film. Yes. This is one of the earlier films to really delve into a self-referential kind of meta thing with regard to the horror film on screen and yeah. the horror film taking place in the audience. The and, and it's also in a subgenre that I don't even know if it would be considered a subgenre that I personally love because the only other movie at the moment that's popping in my head, though I know there are others, uh, is the horror in a movie theater or horror related to a movie. So like popcorn was another one where it's right. you know connected to yeah. it. You've got this movie that's got an issue. And I'm sure there's other ones we could, if we had more time, we could think of. There are a few. Yeah, I feel like that could be a themed episode. Final Girls from a few years ago. Yeah, Final Girls. That would absolutely be one. Yeah. Midnight Movie is one that I've always wanted to cover on the oh, show. Yeah. So that, that would actually be a pretty good versus or double feature of the Midnight Movie and Demons. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Awesome. I'd love that. All right. So for my number seven, I could not have a list from the 70s or 80s that did not include at least one John Carpenter movie. So 
I had to include a Carpenter movie, but I didn't want to pick just any Carpenter movie. I mean, I love a lot of his movies, especially from this era. And this is a movie that I saw for the first time. I believe it was Avco Embassy put it out on VHS, and it was always the cover art on it, the, the video box. I remember not being that impressed by uh, you can't even tell that who the star is that's on the cover of it, who that person is barely. Just I remember being very – it wasn't clear. And I just remember it looked kind of cheap, if I'm just being honest. And I remember that a friend of mine was a big fan of it, and we watched it. And the video quality, as you know, as much as I love VHS, it was very dark, and you couldn't make out much. And I think, okay. So year, cut two years later, I think I finally see it on DVD. And I'm like, holy crap. I It's almost the same reaction I had with Halloween 3, where I'm like, I love – this movie. I love the music. I love the atmosphere. I just love this movie. And I've watched it several times since then. And the more I watch it, it has slowly worked its way up from being, you know, mid-range Carpenter movie I love to top tier. It's not the my most favorite, obviously, but it's in the top tier. The Fog from 1980. I, oh, nice. I love, I the, love this movie. I so do much. too. I just love it. It's such a simple, straightforward ghost story. It's just fun. Adrian Barbeau is fantastic, as she always is. It's just everything about this movie. The music, you, I got a uh, ringtone around Halloween time that I'll switch between, obviously, the <laughs> Halloween theme, the uh, a Silver Shamrock song, and the Fog theme. And I just kind of just go between <laughs> those three. Because even though this movie isn't Halloween-based, it just ha- there's something about it. It has that fall, wintry quality to it. Just everything about it. Uh, you know, the location and the atmosphere. Oh, it's so great. Yes, spellbinding. It is. And you got early Rob Boutin effects. You know, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis and her mom in the same movie. <laughs> you know, I do think this was the first time that they were in the same movie. And they were, there was at least, I think, a couple scenes at the end where they are together. I don't know that they interact so much. Whereas in H2O, I know that they have a couple interactions. So um, anyway, just the whole thing about it. I mean, how Holbrook, I mean, it's just, it's such a great movie. And I feel like it's one of those movies that Carpenter fans have an appreciation for, but just the general public has very little knowledge of. And, and of course, it has another, I, I realize I've got two Tom Atkins movies on my list as well, because of course the great Tom Atkins is in it. Um, and right. uh, I, yeah, I just can't say enough about The Fog from 1980. Other than this one, I will say I did see the Godforsaken remake and it is the reason why I hate remakes sometimes. <laughs> because I was going to say, this is one of the worst remakes ever, man. Awful. I mean, I remember I almost, I didn't walk out of the theater, but I was darn close. I was really close. I was so just bored and annoyed. I just remember thinking, this is so, how can you do this so wrong? So that aside, we're not going to stay negative or stay positive because we're talking about The Fog. So that is my pick, The Fog from 1980. Great. That's an awesome pick. I, and I love that opening scene on, on oh, the beach. You know, John, John Houseman. Houseman just has a oh, way of sort of drawing yes, you in. So good. I know that was shot after and that was added, but it's so good. It's so good. And such a great scene uh, with uh, with Adrian Barbeau. Uh, you know, something happens in her studio. I love that too. There's mm. there's a lot to love about this movie. Yeah, and you touched on a lot of it. Do you have the Scream Factory Blu-ray? I do. Yeah, I do too. That's I got that. I've watched it several times. It's it looks great. Great release. Yeah, it yeah. really is a fantastic awesome. release of that movie. And what I also love about the Fog is I feel like this is also going to be a great entry level horror John Carpenter movie for my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like a young teenager even, because it's it's not graphic. There's some scares in it, but it's not as unrelenting as, as some other things. Like, you know, The Thing, for instance, where, you know, I, my oldest is a dad, can I watch The Thing? When I go, yeah, we'll see. But The Fog, though, I think <laughs> is a great entry-level horror movie 
uh, for somebody who maybe is a little bit, you know, younger and not used to a lot or just maybe somebody who's a little sensitive, but it, it does have such great atmosphere and it, it's just a fantastic movie. All right. So number six. Your number six pick, Dave. All right. My number six. And, and like you, Joel, I didn't really shy away from the franchises. Uh, my number six is Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Awesome. Uh, and I always go back and forth between this one and the first one as to which one I really like love the most. But this is the one I usually settle on. Uh, we did discuss this at length in episode 43, which was part two of our Friday the 13th franchise coverage. So I'm not going to go too deep into it. But uh, for me, this is just it's the best of the franchise for me. I mean, even looking at part one, and I, like I said, I do love part one. I like a lot of the Friday the 13th movies. But number four is always at the very top for me. Uh, and actually at the meetup, getting to see it a little bit on the big screen, I ended up <laughs> taking a little bit of a nap, unfortunately, in the middle of it. Um, but getting to see it on the big screen was was pretty cool. So, my, yeah, that's my number six, Friday the 13th, final chapter. That's an awesome pick. Great pick. That's great. All right, Wolfman, what's your number six? My number six is, I'd have to make a separate list, I guess, for this. But just off the top of my head, I think this is my favorite 80s slasher that's not part of one of the big three franchises. This is Stage Fright. Hmm. And Ooh. it is also known as Deliria and Stage Fright Aquarius. So figure that out. But um, I just, it's a Giallo, really, but it's also just a really cool slasher. It takes place kind of behind the scenes at a stage production, basically. There are some stage actors who are at a theater, according to IMDb, for rehearsal of their upcoming musical production, unaware that an escaped psychopath has sneaked into the theater with them. So basically, there's an escape at the nearby prison or sanitarium, and they lock the doors, but they lock them a little bit too late. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this person is inside the building with them and is picking them off one by one. And it's just, you know, just a pretty typical slasher, but it has more of a vibe of a giallo. So I would say it doesn't follow the tropes of the giallo as much as it follows the tropes of a slasher, but it has that kind of Italian feel to it. And I really love that. I also just love the owl head mask utilized in this film is just so iconic and amazing so yeah that's my number six awesome and i will say i have never seen this movie i haven't seen it either i'm pretty sure there was an australian slasher type movie called stage fright that came out in the 80s as well but this is not what i was thinking it was but i haven't seen this either and by the way it's it's on watch now prime so i'm adding it to my watch list as we speak there are of course also nice releases of stage fright there's a great blue underground uh, release for instance oh cool awesome great pick all right so my number six is in line very much with dave's but it is not a duplicate i also picked a friday the 13th sequel for my number six but i don't know this is just indicative of the differences in our personalities dave but while i very much appreciate four for me the one that had to get on my top 10 was Friday the 13th part six, Jason lives from 1986. Mm, nice. No, that's a good one. I, I, I can't argue with you. I love everything about this movie. I rewatched it not that long ago. I just, it's one of those. I just like to put on and just watch parts of, I like that. It's meta in a way. I mean, it's got, it's like pre scream meta, but it's not too heavy handed with that. 
You have uh, Alice Cooper's uh, music in it, which I remember watching the music video for Man Behind the Mask and loving it as a kid. And I just... Everything about this movie, I, I love. Uh, you know, Tom McLaughlin's direction and how it has this gothic sensibility to the whole thing. I just feel like, especially coming off of Five, which we won't go there right now, but coming off of Five, that it, it was cool to see somebody trying to do something really creatively different with the franchise up to that point. Because, you know, if you look at one through four, they follow, I mean, obviously there's variations and differences, but, you know, there's a similar vibe to all of them then you get to five and does what it does and then six it's got so much you know what we think of now is iconography related to jason and how he looks and and cj graham's performance i I know kane hodder is the jason that is probably the most popular but i always appreciated cj graham's performance as jason and just the look of him in that movie so definitely yeah i really just i can't say enough about friday 13 six it is a movie that i would be heartbroken if i could ever see again I will say I didn't include any of these films on my list just to make it more difficult for myself, but four and six would have definitely been the two that would be fighting for a spot on my list. So yeah, good picks. You guys. Okay. We're going to take a brief break from our list before we move on to number five for some additional Halloween fun. Gather around the campfire, dear friends, as we hear this campfire tale from Raul. I currently work in an elementary school in Tula, Utah as a custodian. Now, some people don't know this, but during the summer, custodians still work full time to get deep cleaning done. Well, it was during the summer and I was in there at six in the morning. I was on my hands and knees scraping wax out of the corners of hallways. There's two custodians where I work, me and another individual. He took the day off, so I knew he wasn't going to be in today. It being summer, I didn't expect anyone else would be in today, possibly the principal, depending. But even so, if someone did show up, it wasn't going to be till about 9 or 10, so I was going to be alone, I knew, for at least a few hours. So I'm in there at 6, I'm doing my job. 7.10 rolls around, and I hear someone talking in the hallway. I thought, well, it's a little early for someone to be in. So I I go outside just to make sure, you know, I don't see anyone. So I thought, well, maybe I'm hearing something. I go back to my work area and I was kept doing my duties when I hear it again louder. And I thought, well, someone's definitely in here. It's not that they're not supposed to be. And when they heard me coming, they decided to hide. Because any school break-ins are a thing. So I walk around the building. I keep hearing someone. I feel like every corner I turn, I'm going to see someone and I I don't see anybody. Finally, as I turn in a corner, I hear the library door close, and the library door in my building has a very distinct sound, and I've opened and shut it enough times to know exactly what that thing sounds like. I get to the library, the door's closed, obviously I heard it close, but the lights are off. There's no lights on in the library, absolutely pitch black, not even emergency lights. There's an office behind the librarian counter, and I see the light in that office. There's a little window in the door. I see that office light turn on and turn off and turn on and turn off twice. Absolutely no mistaking it. So I think, oh, I got you now, man. So I grab my keys, I open up the library, I turn the light on, I walk over to the office, ready to chew out whoever snuck into the building. 
and I open up the closet, there's not even furniture in there for someone to hide behind. There is a single chair, and that's it. Absolutely no one there. Freaked me out, gave me goosebumps. I turned the lights back off, I closed the door, exited that library, went back to my corner and thought, man, why can't I be outside mowing the lawn today? I used to work at a high school. In this high school, there is a wrestling room attached to the secondary gym. Now, you would have to go through the secondary gym to get into the wrestling room. However, there is a door at the far opposite corner that goes outside, so it's an exterior door. One of my duties at night after everyone would go home was that I would go through that room, that wrestling room, to the opposite corner and check that exterior door to make sure it was locked shut tight so no one could get in. Now there was a mannequin, wrestling dummy mannequin type thing that would be used for wrestling practice on the same side of the room that the exterior door was closed although it was the adjacent corner. One night as I was going through and checking the door. I had already gone through the gym. The lights were off. There's emergency lights, so it's half illuminated. It looks like a horror movie setting. I had already checked the door. I'm on my way back, and this is a, a fairly large room. I'm about 15, 20 feet away from the door back into the auxiliary gym when I hear running padded footsteps coming behind me. And the reason they're padded is because since it is a wrestling room, the entire room is covered in wrestling mats, these padded wrestling mats. So I hear this this thud, 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 thud coming behind me, running behind me, clearly no mistaking it. I turn around. I'm always afraid I'm going to get jumped because I'm a little guy, and I've gotten jumped before. <laughs> I turn around, and there's no one, absolutely no one behind me. But on that far corner of the room, I see that wrestling mannequin bobbing as if someone hit it and it had just recently stopped moving but was still having that residual momentum and it scared the piss out of me I backed away keeping my eyes on that mannequin I backed away felt my way around the edge of the wall until I got to the door I exited that door and from then on I would still check that exterior door because I had to but I would only scooch through that wrestling room keeping my eyes on the mannequin and I'd exit that exterior door and I would check it from the outside and I would walk around the building to another entrance and go back in there. Because F that, I ain't about it. Thank you to Raul for sharing his campfire tale. Next, we'll hear a campfire tale from Maurice. So my parents' house is across street um, from a Popeye's. And um, one night it was like very foggy and it just rained before then, but it was, it was at night, it was the evening, it was like really, really foggy. At the time I was living there, um, I had to just like look out my bedroom at the time and um, I saw these like humongous flashing lights just going in a circle above the Popeye's roof. And it was just like, and it was like gigantic light just going in a circle. And it looked insane. And it was in the fog, so I couldn't make of like where the lights were coming from. 
Like the Popeyes could not even have these lights above their roof and they just don't have lights above their roof that are going in a circle and that are gigantic. So I immediately assumed and I immediately knew it was an alien. So I run downstairs to tell my mom, we, we both come up and we both look out the window and, and, and she's like seeing it too and she's like, oh my God, yeah, that's, that's definitely an alien spacecraft. That has to be, that has to be a UFO. It can't be anything else. Just these giant lights going in a circle in the fog above the Popeyes. I don't know if the aliens were, were going around trying to get the Popeyes or make contact so they can make an order. I'm not sure, but there was these giant lights. It was in the fog, and it was it was incredible. I mean, we we both didn't know and, and knew what was going on, and, you know, um, we, we didn't film it, unfortunately, and I wish I really did because... Because it was just unbelievable and it was really, it was freaky. It was just completely freaky. Cut to a week later, I was telling the story at like a party and this guy I knew came up and he, he said too that on that same night in the fog or like the night after, um, he saw the same lights going over like a cornfield and it was like foggy while he was driving by and like... He figured it had to have been a UFO. It couldn't have been anything else over a cornfield. And, like, you know, um, that was just, like, a real... It was a real freaky testament that, you know, um, the, the truth is out there. It, it really is. Thank you to everyone for your horrific submissions. Everyone who has submitted a Campfire Tale will receive a brand new Campfire Tale sticker that was designed by HMP listener Joshua Bellas. They can also have their pick between a special Campfire Tales t-shirt or their own copy of one of the films discussed on tonight's show. We want to hear your seasonal spooky stories as well. To submit your Campfire Tales for the show, send us a pre-recorded audio file to horrormoviecast at gmail.com. That's horrormoviecast at gmail.com. Or leave a voicemail or two at the Retro Movie Geek Hotline, 484-577-3876. That's 484-57-RETRO. Man, what awesome stories from Maurice and Raul. I love the idea of aliens stopping by the Popeyes for something to eat on their way to make crop circles in a nearby (laughs) cornfield. (laughs) I'm agnostic on both aliens and ghosts, but I have had stories that could potentially be construed as both seeing a UFO and having kind of a ghostly encounter like the ones Raul was just talking about. So I love it. Love that our listeners are sharing their stories with us. Hope other people will do that as well. Before we move on really quick, I want to give away another participation award (laughs) for people that participated at the site this week at horrormoviepodcast.com, whether with our 31 days of horror reviews, you could have left a review, maybe you just dropped in to tell us what you watched that day, or maybe you left your top 10 of the 1970s list on our last episode. Now, because it is our 80s show, I wanted to give something away from the 1980s, and our super cool listener, Raul, who just left us those two ghost stories about being a custodian, also donated a DVD of Child's Play from 1988, brand new, to give away to one of our listeners. So thank you, Raul. What a generous guy. And we are going to give that away to one of our listeners right now who has contributed in the community in some way at the site at horrormoviepodcast.com since last episode reach into the bag here and Taylor Sacco. So Taylor actually 
contributed our day three post for 31 Days of Halloween. He reviewed the 2012 film Vile, which actually sounded super interesting to me. It was directed by another Taylor, Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Howler Highwater, Sicario, and Wind River, three kind of dramatic thriller films that I absolutely loved. So Vile is now on my queue, and Taylor, you are the winner of the Child's Play 1988 DVD donated by Raul. So thank you to Taylor and Raul and all of our listeners who have contributed at HorrorMoviePodcast.com this holiday season. Thanks for making it a great Halloween season so far. Awesome. Drop by and let us know what you've been watching, if you've seen the movies that our other kind listeners have submitted reviews for. Would love to hear from you, and it could pay off as it did today. So Taylor Sacco, email us at HorrorMovieCast at gmail.com. And we will get your information to send you this DVD of Child's Play from 1988, donated by listener Raul. Next, we have a special treat for you. The Return of Jay of the Dead. Hi, and happy Halloween 2019. This is Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And I'm the former host emeritus of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. It's been way too long since I've been talking to this audience. For those who don't know, I stepped down and handed over the hosting reins about 10 months ago, and my incredible co-hosts have continued to carry the torch and do an exceptional job, especially Gilman Joel. You guys make me proud. So thanks for inviting me to share a mini-review here on HMP. Now, I understand that for this episode, my buddies are bringing you reviews from the same decade, And I didn't want to accidentally overlap with one of their picks, so I'm going to visit the 2000s real quick to review a horror film that I've barely ever heard anybody talk about. And I'll tell you my theory on that in a minute. IMDb and Wikipedia list this as a 2008 film, but this movie was a straight-to-video DVD release in the U.S. in May of 2010. It was directed by Jonas Barnes and Michael Manasseri, and it's called Babysitter Wanted. Here's a short excerpt from the trailer. What do you think happened to her? I did find some girl down in Redding all hacked up last month. Hi, I was calling about the babysitting job. 724 Lancaster Road. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This must be Sam. And here is the phone with all the contact numbers that you could possibly need. Do you have any idea when you might be coming back? Uh, we shouldn't be gone more than three or four hours. Hello? Hello? Benelli here. I think there's someone outside the house. Did you see someone? No, not exactly. I just keep hearing strange noises. Hello? For those who aren't familiar with Jay of the Dead, I won't reveal any major plot spoilers during my review. And to that end, because this movie has some surprises, I can't list all the subgenres in my genre classification here, but I can say it's a horror thriller, a little bit of a suspense mystery, and obviously it's a babysitter horror movie. But rest assured, definitely a horror flick. Here's the premise. A college freshman needs money. So she answers a babysitter wanted ad for this couple who live way out in the boonies, out in the country. They're going out on the town for a few hours, so the babysitter needs to stay there with their little boy. And yes, they do actually have a little boy. 
You'll know why I emphasize that in a minute here if you don't already. And while she's there with the kid, a hulking brute of a man lays siege to the farmhouse with malicious and fatal intentions. And that's all I can give you on the premise. But I will say, by the way, Babysitter Wanted also stars Bill Mosley, so it's good to see him in there. And our lead character, the babysitter, is played by Sarah Thompson. Now, since this is a mini-review, I just have a couple of small points to make about this movie. First, there clearly is a small subgenre in the corner of horror that you might call babysitter horror, of course. Very famous titles in this category. You've got When a Stranger Calls, When a Stranger Calls Back, and the most famous babysitter horror film of all, John Carpenter's Halloween. So Babysitter Wanted should proudly stand among these other films, except this film had one very unfortunate problem. It was the weaker, or at least the lesser scene of that phenomenon known as twin films. You're all familiar with this phenomenon. You've got two films that are basically the same idea, and they're somehow released around the same time. It seems like one is always more popular than the other. I always think of Armageddon and Deep Impact or Volcano and Dante's Peak. And for whatever reason, probably money, Babysitter Wanted seems to have been eclipsed by Ty West's The House of the Devil, which had a lot of festival action in 2009. And that film had its U.S. DVD premiere in February of 2010. So that was three months before Babysitter Wanted hit DVD. So it's no wonder this film is lesser seen and lesser known. And I will say the two films aren't exactly the same, but they do have an uncanny number of parallels, especially considering that these twin films were in production at about the same time. It's weird. So I think the problem for this movie is that it exists in a world where everyone has already seen The House of the Devil. And by the way, to me, The House of the Devil is the better film between the two. I love that movie. But I will say, if you're looking at the compare and contrast differences with no spoilers, The House of the Devil is much more suspenseful to me. Though I know some people feel that its slow burn build is kind of boring, but not me. I think it's very freaky. And the events in The House of the Devil are much more probable, I would say, or realistic. Something that could happen in real life, at least to some extent. Whereas in Babysitter Wanted, it has more action horror in it, meaning more violence and blood, etc. And it goes bigger too. Babysitter Wanted would probably be preferable for those who were too bored by Ty West's film. And it goes a little over the top for my tastes. Even though it is not comedy horror whatsoever, I'll make that clear, it does have an air of silliness to it, and that kind of breaks the spell for me a little bit. But I think horror fans should be aware of Babysitter Wanted, whether you appreciated The House of the Devil or whether you were bored by it. I think in both cases, you would enjoy this film. I think it's fun to watch this movie by comparison just to see how a similar story can turn out differently depending on its execution and maybe a couple of slight tweaks to the story. But as for a rating and recommendation, I give Babysitter Wanted a 6.5 out of 10. And I'd call it a rental. You can stream it on Amazon or purchase it digitally on Amazon. And um, yeah, I think it's worth streaming. 
Now, as I start to wrap up my segment, I wanted to let you know that I am doing some podcasting again. I host a short form horror podcast called Horror Movie Weekly. It's got three hosts who review one horror movie every Sunday. My co-hosts over there are Bill Shetty and Lady Phantom. All three of us are resurrected out of horror podcasting retirement. Each of our episodes is only 45 minutes long and Lady Phantom edits the shows for me. So that's the only reason I even have time to do this new podcast. But yeah, we battle and bicker about a newer horror movie on each episode. So if that sounds fun to you, you can check out Horror Movie Weekly on iTunes or find us at horrormovieweekly.com. All right, well, I think the time is far spent here. I just want to thank my good buddies, Gilman Joel, Wolfman Josh and the amazing but subtle Dr. Shock for inviting me back here to do a little segment. I'm hoping to submit a couple more segments for HMP's Halloween releases this month if they'll have me back. Oh, and I also have a guest appearance over on Gilman Joel's Spooky Flicks Fest 2019. That's coming out on Retro Movie Geek sometime this month. But anyway, it was great to do a little horror mini review for y'all again. You're welcome to drop me a line at horrormovieweekly at gmail.com. So you've been listening to Jay of the Dead. I'm signing off from Salt Lake City and wishing a happy Halloween to the greatest horror fans in the world because y'all are dead serious about Hey everyone, this is Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. I'm sorry to be hijacking the show at this point, but I need your help. A while back, a listener chastised the three of us, uh, Josh, Joel, and myself, for throwing away. We, we announced on the show that we just threw away our digital downloads. We never kept them. For me, they were just another piece of paper in the, in the Blu-ray that was in the way, so I threw it away. But you know what? It was a good point. I shouldn't be throwing these away. These are of value to somebody. Even if not to me, they're of value to somebody, and maybe somebody could, would, would enjoy them. Well, now I'm swimming in the damn things. I got them all over the place. I got too many, and it's October, it's the month of horror, and I want to give all of the listeners a chance to win one of these downloads, and there are three different ways to do it. First, if you go to iTunes and leave us a review on iTunes for HMP, you have a chance of winning one of four different downloads. I'm giving four away for an iTunes review. The 40th anniversary of Alien... The seven film Saw franchise, the only one missing is the newest Jigsaw, but it's one through seven of Saw, all in one download. That's not seven downloads, that's one single download. Three from Hell, the brand new Rob Zombie movie. And The Jinx, the six hour HBO documentary on serial killer Robert Durst. Four different people will win them. So we're looking for a lot of reviews over on iTunes. A lot of people, you know, it's this, we're looking for an honest review. We're not looking for an honest review. We want you to kiss our ass. <laughs> kidding, not kidding. Anyway, so that's the iTunes. Now, a lot of you out there have already left an iTunes. You're like, Dr. Shock, I left an iTunes like years ago. I've been a loyal listener all this long. Why am I being locked out of this, Jack? I, 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 you know, I want a chance to win some of these downloads too. First off, you got a lot of nerve. But second, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so we're going to give you a chance to win some downloads as well. How? All right. Two different ways. One, on Twitter, we're going to be giving away a new download every few days. All you have to do is follow us and retweet it. That's it. 
So you're going to want to go onto Twitter and check Horror Movie Cast. Every few days, a new download will be listed, and there's some good ones in here. I'm not even going to spoil it. You're going to have to go over to the Twitter page to see these. And I think there's one or two that are the end of 2018, but the majority of these are 2019 films. All right? That's the second way to win. And again, all you have to do is follow us and retweet, and you have a chance. That's for everybody. Third, this is the month where we're doing our top 10 lists. We have the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. The last episode, the 2000s, we're giving away more of the downloads. All you have to do in that case is go to horrormoviepodcast.com, the site, when the 2000 episode is posted, and leave a comment with your personal top 10 list. We've gotten quite a few of them already on the 70s, with the 80s, the 90s, and with the 2000s. We want your top 10 list. If you do that, you have a chance to win another download. And I'm not just giving away one. I'm not just giving away three. I'm giving away seven downloads to seven different people for the 2000s. If you come out and leave your top 10 list, you have a darn good chance of winning one of these downloads. I'm not going to list all of the films. There are 2019 movies. Three of them, though, just to give you an idea, are Captive State, 2019's Hellboy, and The Dead Don't Die. Giving away those three for a comment with a top 10 list in the 2000s. So those are the three ways you have to win these. I need to get rid of these. I'm already got tons of DVDs because for some reason they still consider it a special feature when you buy a Blu-ray to give you a DVD. I don't know why. What the hell am I going to do with two copies of the same movie? Why are they still doing this? Maybe someone can help me. Can someone help me? Why are studios still doing this? Why are they giving us a DVD along with the Blu-ray? Why don't, they just, why, don't they just, why don't they just send us a 16 millimeter film of the damn thing? I mean, we don't, I don't need two copies of these. And I've got all these DVDs to give away, but that's for another time. Right now, we're doing the digital downloads. And I can't have these along with the DVDs. I'm spilling all over the house with this stuff. Please help me out. iTunes, Twitter, the comment board for our top 10 of the 2000s list. Three ways to win. A lot of downloads I'm giving away. Please help. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. And now we'll get back to our top 10 horror movies of the 1980s. All right, so we're moving right along then to number five. Dave's number five. All right. This will be pretty quick because my number five was the same as uh, Joel's number seven. It is John Carpenter's The Fog. Awesome. And I think we've said everything there is to say about this uh, just a few minutes ago. So, yeah, that's my number five. And yeah, I love it. I I think it's one of his most underrated and uh, underappreciated. And uh, that's a damn shame because it really is just a great movie. 100% man. Agree with that. Wolfman, number five, what you got? My number five is a film that I didn't even consider myself even kind of slightly a fan of until this year. (laughs) So, um, and I will say, Joel, I think you had a big part in uh, converting me to this movie. We covered it on our movie podcast, episode 172. I have since become completely obsessed with this story in general. Love this film and its remake, and especially the book that it's based on. It is Stephen King. Pet Cemetery from nice. 1989. That is 
awesome. I've become obsessed with this with this story. As I said, I saw it again at the right time, and it, although it hadn't ever really done much for me leading up to to this time, I think uh, I was at a stage in life seeing that film, seeing the remake, deciding to read the book. You know, I gave both of those films, I think, a seven point five when we reviewed them, but they would not leave my head. This tale really got to me, and uh, I love it now. It's just, just it's not something. If you would have said this to me this time last year, you see Pet Cemetery making your top ten list, I would have laughed in your face. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my number five. I love that uh, you picked that. Obviously, I'm a little biased. Great movie, great pick. Thank you, Wolfman. All right, so my number five. Now, this will be controversial probably to only my two co-hosts <laughs> because I don't know that uh, they would agree with me. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but hopefully, everybody listening, there are some of you out there will realize that uh, I am one of you. I am the kind of person that for my number five, I would pick Child's Play from 1988 because I freaking <laughs> love that movie. Unabashedly. I, I can't. I, no, I got no. I don't, I'm not going to bash out. Okay. I'm a fan of Child's Play. The first, the first Child's Play. Yeah, I like it. I thought you were going Ghoulies, and I could have supported you more on that. But oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Well, I, I feel like I am actually a fan of the first three. Um, I saw three definitely in the theater. I think I even saw two in the theater. One was still a little bit. I was still a little too young to get to go see it uh, in the theaters. But I, I'll never forget. It's one of those movies that back in the day when you'd have pay per view where they would just do it on cable and they would play the same trailers over and over again. Do you guys remember that? And they would have the little TV guide that would scroll up and you would just kind of pick the time you wanted to order the movie. Remember, I guess there's some variation of that today, but it, I always remember being a very specific thing. It was like the cable company did it. And it was a way to get, you know, sort of early streaming, I guess, is one way to look at it. Uh, but they would play the trailer for this over and it was a teaser. And it was just... I played it over and over and I, at the time I hadn't seen it yet. And so I just remember I'd watch that trailer over and over again. And then I finally saw it. I loved it. I've always been freaked out by dolls. Anyway, I do not buy into the idea that, uh, you know, I, I could kick their butt cause they're small. I believe that, you know, if a doll is in the room and you're like, Oh, it's just a doll. It's not going to kill me. It's going to kill you in your sleep. Okay. So the fact is I've always found Chucky amazing as a character. He's iconic. Brad Dorff. It doesn't even need to be said how tremendous his performance is. Um, we obviously have not had the opportunity yet to review the new child's play. At some point we will, I have seen it. Um, and Mark Hamill does a fine job, but I still go back to Brad Dorff, man. That is always, always and forever will be my Chucky uh, as far as voices go. Um, and uh, Catherine Hicks is great. Chris Sarandon. I just realized that I got two movies on here with Chris Sarandon and, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and two movies directed by Tom Holland. So there you go. Um, and then both of them with Sarandon. But I, I just can't say enough of the movie. I just really love it. And I, I'm not, I don't hate Bride of Chucky. I have I sat through the first 20 minutes of see to Chuck it. I couldn't take it. I have seen Curse, which I really liked. I have not seen Colt yet. I have not to be fair, I've not seen Colt yet. Uh, but I I appreciate a bride for Chucky for the visuals, but that where they taking it to that level was not quite for me, but 1 through 3 I'm a big fan of and I really liked Curse a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I I I it's not my cup of tea, but I, you know, I gave it a seven. I said, buy it. I think it's absolutely a horror classic. Fans of the Child's Play movies are probably not going to want to listen to our franchise review. <laughs> it begins on episode 128. This, this was uh, 
pre-Joel and uh, and the other three of us were a little harder on these films probably than Joel would have been. Um, Way but... harder. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being honest. I recommend listening to episode 128 because that's where I tell my story about being attacked by a bear in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> which, oh, was a, which was a great story but as a child's play fan uh, i at least knew you guys so i knew your hearts were at the right place but i i remember thinking i was like oh come on guys come on you know i mean yeah <laughs> come on <laughs> so uh but but you know everyone has an opinion they're all opinions and, i mean i tried to go in open-minded as i do to all films that i think i don't like and sometimes i you know my mind is very easily changed like it was with pet cemetery and other times not as much fair enough I am a fan of the first one. I do like the first film. I've never not enjoyed it when I watch it. And if, if for no other reason, just the, the moment of, you know, say something, damn it, or I'll throw you in the fire and just that whole reaction and just that it's all animatronics and puppetry and just he's got such a person. I just oh, just love that movie so much. So speaking of other movies we love, Dave, what is your number four? My number four? And as much as I love Reanimator, and I do, I love Reanimator, my favorite Stuart Gordon film is 1986's From Beyond. That's my number four pick. For me, it, it starts off great. It's got a great pre-title sequence. It's got a not, not a really complex story. There's a Dr. Pretorius played by Ted Sorrell. He's doing this work in his lab in, this, in the opening sequence, and something goes very wrong. Jeffrey yes. Combs plays uh, his assistant. And something happens, and uh, Dr. Pretorius, well, he's gone. Let's put it that way. Well, they find out that uh, these experiments, yeah, they, they did uh, kind of tap into something very big. And Dr. Pretorius may not be dead after all. Uh, there's a lot going on here. There, there, there really is. And it's interesting that the original, this is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. The original story was only 17 paragraphs long. And from that, they were able to stretch it out in From Beyond, and I think make a pretty darn good feature-length film out of it. Uh, there are some sort of gooey parts to it. There are some some very intense sequences. Uh, I'm thinking of one in particular when Crawford sort of has this transformation in a hospital. But it is my favorite Stuart Gordon movie, and it just sort of goes in all these different directions. It's it's very creative very intense and um you know some parts of it will really get under your skin so that's my number four very nice yeah great one i feel like i need to revisit from beyond because i always was a reanimator fan i love bride reanimator i remember really loving that movie too um and uh, but i definitely need to revisit from beyond i was convinced that we had covered this on our one science goes too far episode but no that was altered states but yeah i think we we must have touched on this during that episode. i remember talking about it at one point i just don't know i might have just been I don't know. I couldn't find it either, to be honest with you. Yeah. That was a great pick, Dave. Yep, absolutely. Josh, what is your number Thank four? You. Okay, thus begins the point in the show where the <laughs> hardcore horror fans, whatever those are, but these are, these are a group of people we used to really worry about. I would say the first 60 episodes we had, uh, the fear of the hardcore horror fans beaten into us by some of our previous podcast fellows. And, uh, I just I just remember thinking, well, the hardcore horror fans are gonna hate this. They're gonna they're gonna come and complain in the comments. And what we did eventually find is that we built our own listenership for the show, and that a lot of our listeners tend to agree with us. So 
Um, it turned out okay, actually, but I still, I still have this trepidation. Anytime I bring up art films or comedies that the hardcore horror fans are going to come, uh, from the darkness to, uh, take their pound of flesh. But listen, the, the next four films on my list are comedy horror films. They're primarily comedies. <laughs> they touch on horror elements. They're horror adjacent. I love all of them. And when we decided to kind of go by the rubric of, You'd never be able to see these films again, knowing that again, my top actual top four from the eighties are, are pretty respectable entries. That I don't think anybody could really argue with. I had to go with these four, all the disclaimers needed. Um, Tim Burton is a director who a lot of people roll their eyes at now. Although I, I am a fan of what he was able to accomplish even later in his career. I really liked his own remake of his film, Frank and Weenie. I enjoyed Sweeney Todd, his yep. his musical that he made. But there was an era of Tim Burton between 1984 and 1994 where anything this guy touched was cinematic gold in my eyes. And I think the majority of the films that came out during that time were masterpieces, even masterpieces starring Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> These are films he did a he did a um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode during that time. He did the Batman movies during that time. And I think those were all fantastic, but there were there were three films that he did uh, that just really blew me away. And th- the first of those is 1988's Beetlejuice, and that is my number four. Oh, Be- I love that movie. I do. I yes. love me Beetlejuice. Too. Yeah. And the, the the horror imagery in this movie is so fantastic. It's a film that, as a kid, it seriously creeped me out. It's basically Alec Baldwin. Uh, Gina Davis are people who have passed away recently and, and new people are moving into their house and they're trying to scare away the new people who have moved into their house. And the ways by which they go about doing that are mostly hilarious, but in true Tim Burton style, he is able to take really grotesque imagery and make it oddly appealing. And uh, yeah, some of those images really scarred me from an early age um, in a way that, Looking back now, I I get it. Like, uh, like yeah, that is that's a pretty grotesque image that you don't see in a lot of horror films, even still. So, I'm not quite on the uh, from beyond scale, but not but not far off either. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. I love. Uh, I do. I love Beetlejuice as well. It's a fun movie. But you're right. There, there, and and Michael Keaton as the title character, I thought was amazing. Yeah, and it was really outside the box for him. I mean, he. He had a really interesting career these few years that he was working with Tim Burton and he really reinvented himself and I think surprised a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to back you up. I think that movie is a classic and it's iconic. Obviously, it would be first and foremost a comedy, but to your point, it has got horror, a lot of horror imagery into it. It's about ghosts and the demonic type possession and there's a lot of things that very easily you could shift the entire tone of the thing and it could be a straight up horror flick. So I think that, uh, that is 100% uh, okay in my book. And especially following the standard of the idea of you never seeing it again, it would break your heart. Um, I would say the only way you should get real grief because of the way you set that up with the Pee Wee Herman thing. I realize the large Marge sequence traumatized a lot of children in uh, big adventure. But if like you were, <laughs> if you were about to say like, that was your horror pick, I think then arguably people would have had <laughs> justification to bring out the pitchforks no, no, in no. the torches. That was not my horror no. pick, but I do think, I just think, I think that is in its own weird way. It's a cinematic oddity, 
but it's also a masterpiece in its own yes way. It, so, yes i agree with you i agree with you mm-hmm. and then the other two that i alluded to i mean edward scissorhands and ed wood for me is about as good as it gets yeah so. Yeah. Ed Wood is, is that could be my all time favorite Burton film. Uh, is Ed Wood. I think Beetlejuice is a great pick, Wolfman. And honestly, it makes me feel far less insecure about my number four. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Meaning that my number four is a movie that arguably could be seen as a comedy type of movie, even before the horror part, but it deals with monsters. It deals with kids fighting monsters. It is the Monster Squad. Of course, because there is no way in hell I am not including this movie on a list of horror movies from the 80s. (laughs) This was almost in my top 10, period. But uh, the only reason I didn't is because I was really trying to keep that to movies that if they didn't currently scare me, they at least at one point really had. That's kind of what my criteria in my own head was for that. Whereas Monster Squad, oh, actually, it's odd. I don't know that it ever scared me. There's a couple of creepy moments in it when you're a kid, but there's just something about it. And and just, just to picture the monsters, the effects are tremendous. I mean, they're hands down some of my favorite. I honestly think that that depiction of Dracula in my mind you know, just this side of, you know, the iconic Lugosi and and Christopher Lee portrayals is perhaps the best. I, I just, he is at times absolutely menacing and terrifying. And, up, and you got to consider in 1987, when this movie comes out, Dracula is not scary, quote unquote, anymore. This is the, obviously the era of the slasher. So, you know, we, we, don't think of it that, but there are some moments in this movie and his brides are terrifying. Uh, obviously the Gill man is great in this. Uh, I mean, everything Wolfman, they're all just, it's fantastic across the board. I mean, Fred Decker, if he made no other movies than this and night of the creeps, in my opinion, he's a legend. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) I, I, I just, I love his, his early, early works. Uh, and I love this movie unconditionally and I'm of the opinion. And I don't know if it's just me getting older and just more mellow about, about it i don't know but i feel like horror is a very large tent and it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other you know it's it's anything that deals with you know the weird the odd the monstrous you know obviously tonally it can shift big time you know you know one hand you can have texas chainsaw massacre and movies like that and then on the other end of the spectrum you can have the beetlejuices and the monster squads it's just it's a big tent and a big spectrum Um, but for me my number four hands down the monster squad it's a great pick love it Yep. All right, Dave, number three. Moving into number three, this is uh, my all-time favorite 80s slasher film. We discussed it in episode 10, Bloody Valentines. I'll see if you can guess what it is from that. It is my (laughs) Bloody Valentine. I absolutely love this film. Nice. Uh, I love the setting. I love that they go down into into the mine shaft, and that's where the story sort of ends up. There's just a lot about this movie that I really enjoy, and I know I went into it in detail in episode ten, and since then I'm pretty sure it came up again in our slasher coverage as well. Uh, but it is my all time favorite '80s '80s slasher film. Halloween will always be my favorite slasher film, but My Bloody Valentine is my favorite '80s slasher film. Very cool. Good one. I, I think I was really hard on this film. I still rated it pretty high. I said it called the 7.5 and buy it. I think there are some 
things to do with the world building there that uh, it, it's kind of easy to pick apart. And I and I think I was harder on it than I needed to be when we reviewed it. But I you know I absolutely like this movie quite a bit as well. Cool. And I have to tell you, Dave, I didn't see this movie until maybe three years ago. Oh wow! So you said it was episode ten where you guys talked about it. Maybe it was mm-hmm. somewhere in that ballpark where you guys talked about it. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I never did see this. It was one of those quote unquote, more legendary slasher flicks that I never saw. And I decided to watch it and I really enjoyed it. I mean, way it was, it, you know, for me, it wasn't perfect, but it was a way more enjoyable than I thought going into it. Like I figured I just did avoided it because I just, it didn't, for whatever reason, it didn't hit me right. But uh, even seeing it as an adult, you know, many years later after seeing everything I've seen, I remember really, truly enjoying this. So I think that's a great pick. The remake is, it's one of those where the remake is really quality as well. It is. I'll agree. The, the remake is, is, is good as well. Really good. Excellent. All right. Wolfman, your number three. My number three is a film that we talked about on our first kind of official Christmas episode. We had done the Christmas episode where we talked about Silent Night, Deadly Night and Black Christmas, and we hadn't quite uh, settled into doing an annual Christmas episode yet at that stage. This was the first time we said, okay, this is a HMP Christmas episode. And I had to fight to get this movie onto the episode because the person who previously occupied your seat, Joel does not consider this a horror film, (laughs) 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 but damn the man, Joe Dante's 1984 classic gremlins is my number three eighties horror movie. That is awesome. That is awesome. That is really, yeah. And I'll tell you what, this was almost on my top 10 for this as well. I'm actually glad I, I'm glad that you covered it. I'm glad you didn't because I was a bit on the fence because it's another one of those, like the idea of never seeing that movie again would break my heart. And I figured, yeah. okay, well, I'm doing the Monster Squad, which is obviously more kid-centric. And I was like, okay, well. So, I, and I had so many other movies I wanted to try to get on it. That was my only reason. And there was a part of me that was fingers crossed that since all, I didn't know what you had on your list, but I knew you said you did have a, a decent amount of horror comedy. So I was like, okay, may, he might have Gremlins. He's, he's, he's probably gonna have Gremlins. So as long as Gremlins gets mentioned, I'll be okay. So <laughs> that is awesome. That is yeah. great. I'm really happy you got it on there. Well, there was there was another film kind of to the point of your list that you were saying earlier, where there's a movie that didn't even make this list, but it was vying for like the top three spot, <laughs> which is kind of weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I've said this a lot during our Christmas horror shows, but I think my very favorites are the films that successfully operate as both a Christmas movie and a horror movie, which mm-hmm. I think is really difficult to do because they have different goals. And, you know, I think a really great horror film often ends on a bleak note and a really great Christmas movie kind of ends on a hopeful note. And so uh, it's a very difficult line to walk. And Joe Dante's sensibility, in my opinion, is one where the comedy really is the thing that allows those two feelings to kind of coexist. And, um, and it is a pretty bleak movie throughout i mean that's some really dark material in here it is not as scary for an adult but it it doesn't lessen how bleak the story being told actually is you know and um and again as a child just like with my last pick beetlejuice some of this imagery scarred me more than you know anything else i could point to i mean just really disturbing images that i hadn't seen previous to this yeah 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, and when I saw this in the theater, there were people laughing. And I was like, I, I didn't find it to be as much of a comedy because there were some, like you're saying, some very disturbing things happening in the film. And I was more disturbed by it than I was actually thinking, oh, well, that's kind of funny. And to me, this has, it's almost not quite in line with Quint's tale of the USS Indianapolis, but, you know, Phoebe Cates talking about uh, the why she's not a big fan of Christmas yeah. because of what happened to her father. That really hit me too as I yeah. saw this movie. That that and it and it's, and it's really a, it's sort of an aside, but it it really adds to the atmosphere. You know, I I'm sure I've said this on the show before, uh, but for those who haven't gone back and heard episode 37, this was a movie that my mom had to take me out of the theater because I was so scared. I begged her to take me to this movie. She said, "You're not going to like it." I said, "Yes, I will." It has Muppets in it. Looks really funny. <laughs> And I was so terrified we had to leave the movie uh, mid-film. Now, I did fall in love with it immediately thereafter. And I I owned this movie on VHS. And I had had a little gizmo stuffed animal and muscle shirt. And Stripe was my favorite character. And I wanted to get a mohawk uh, my whole little kid life because of Stripe. And uh, I was obsessed with this film. But uh, the first time I saw it, I had to be physically removed from the location. Wow. Yeah, I was eight when this came out and my dad took me. It was, I believe it was around the time that my parents were no longer married and uh, my mom was not happy. I remember that. And I don't know if I'm cross-pollinating memories, but it would also have been around this time that I put two and two together about the uh, Santa reality and i don't know if it was because of this movie that i saw it i heard her story and i went wait a second (laughs) but uh i just remember that that story really bothering me deeply as a kid (laughs) and uh but yeah and i also have a weird memory of i had like a couple plastic uh, gremlins figures i had gizmo and a couple of gremlins and i remember having them out on my desk and my teacher getting mad at me because i was like it was like i was you know geeking out my desk and trying to you know put my my uh, uh memorabilia out i guess for display and, and i don't know why that memory has <laughs> always stuck with me i think i even had the metal lunchbox with the thermos and everything else so yeah i'm right there with you josh love that movie so much it's it's an, it, to me it's like on a personal level it's important to me it's just it's a it's a great movie <laughs> I agree. All right. So my number three is a movie that I am a hundred percent confident, 100% confident. Neither of you will disagree with me that it should be on here and that the vast majority of the audience will be like, yeah, no brainer. Come on. My number three is a movie that also traumatized me as a child as it did to many children. And I know to Dave specifically, and that is Poltergeist from 1982. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful, sunny summer day. Yeah. Didn't matter. Scared the hell out of me and my friends. And we went to see it because it had Spielberg's name of on course. it. And we loved Raiders of the Lost Ark. Of course. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it, it is without a doubt a classic. One of my early movie adjacent memories is also in line with those early days of cable. Do you remember when you get the little booklets, not a TV guide, but like the cable company would send you those little printed on like the cheap, almost newspaper quality paper. And they were maybe, you know, five by seven size. And I remember 
flipping through and they would always have little stills from movies that were featured that month on HBO or whatever. And it was the image, I can remember to this day, it's the image of right after uh, they pulled Robbie out of the tree and all the turmoils happen and they're, they're, they just lose Carol Ann. And it's with the mom and the dad and they're covered in the, in the you know, everything and, and they're holding him. And I, I completely out of context, so I hadn't seen the movie at this point. I remember taking it to school. I just occurred to me why I probably ended up not going to that. It was actually a, a Grace Lutheran was the school. It was a private school. And I think it was a couple of years later by then, they I wasn't allowed to go there anymore or something. Because, but now I look back on it, I'm like, oh, this all starting to make sense because I think all these experiences happened there and I would always bring them to school <laughs> with me. But I remember showing it to all my friends, being like, oh, look at this. You could tell that something really bad had happened by the look on their face and the conditions of their bodies. And so I just remember being like obsessed with that image for some weird reason. And again, hadn't seen the movie. And much like The Exorcist, uh, as I think I mentioned in the in the last uh, episode list we did, I my mom was watching it on TV. She had already seen it, loved it. But I remember her watching it and again, freaking out when I came in the room because it was and I think it was towards the end because I remember it was like the the lights were going off and everything. I can still remember the TV flashing and and just get out of here, get out of here. So but it just made this like this forbidden fruit that I had to taste. So, uh, yeah, when it, by the time I finally see Poltergeist blown away scared the crap out of me still gets to me this day there's certain key moments in that movie but i think what i love the most is how and this is where the whole debate did hooper directed did spielberg directed but i feel like they both did <laughs> or at least hooper directed yeah. and in spielberg's influence is so prevalent and it's in the way the the awe is captured of that experience mm-hmm. because you would be terrified you would be it's horrifying everything about it is that's true but there's also a sense of awe. Like if you were actually presented with that situation, it opens up so many other questions and quandaries and, and, and things you'd have to really examine if you're honest. And I just find like this, the way they capture that awe, even especially in those quiet moments, all those little moments, they give you chills. And I just, it yeah. is such a great movie. Hands down. I agree. Yeah. Yep. I agree. And, and it's what it, capturing the all that especially that scene with the stairway where the camera sort of moves mm-hmm. and focuses on the stairs and what they when they play it back what they see that's that has a spielberg feel to it plus the family i think yes. the way that the family is built these could almost be neighbors to um to roy neary from close encounters of the third kind yes you know they could live in that same neighborhood yep and the the fact that it's happening to this family that you you learn to really care about is where the real terror sort of comes in it came in for me anyway uh, but you're right. I think both of them definitely uh, had a had a had a part in this, and and you, it's it's a real nice blending of the two. Yeah, yeah, really love it. It's a classic. Nice. It was definitely in consideration for my list. So, you know, we've talked a lot about on the show during the '80s. You know, when I was growing up, there were these certain things that were in the zeitgeist that were just they were in the ether. You knew about them even if you hadn't seen the film. You know, Freddy Krueger was one of those things. Whether or not you'd seen any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, you knew who Freddy Krueger was. You knew everything about him. He haunted your dreams. He was in the. He was just part of the '80s landscape. Sure, right. Um, Same. I talked about this on the Saving Jaws documentary. Whether or not you'd seen Jaws, you knew the poster and you knew the theme song. Like those are things that are just in the culture. And for me, little Heather O'Rourke with her hands on the television screen, you know, before I saw this movie, I was well aware of that. I mean, and it was something, it was an image that completely terrified me as a kid, knowing nothing about what it was. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And of course, the line, they're here. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, Dave, number two. 
All right, getting into uh, into the nitty gritty here. My number two, we go back to the horror master himself, Mr. John Carpenter, for 1987's Prince of Darkness. <sighs> what? How did I forget this movie? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, Josh has to real quick rethink his list. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dude, that is a major oversight. I don't know why I was thinking this was early 90s. It's one of my all-time favorite yeah. films. This is okay. My list is meaningless. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't find where we discussed this on the show. I know I did post a review for it during uh, one of the Thirty-One Days of Horror. This was one of the movies I reviewed, and yeah. it just gets better every time I see it. This professor and his class—they're asked by this priest to come out to a church and there's all these different researchers gathering in this church because something was found in the basement and they're trying to figure out what it was. Meanwhile, these omens are sort of happening in this very uh, sort of rundown area of Los Angeles where this church is and, you know, very creepy things are going on. And, and so all these researchers are going to be staying in this, this church to try to figure out what's happening. And they're all haunted by the same sort of, dream but is it a dream or is it a vision and there's so much about this movie that every time i see it it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger to the point now where i'm going to you know i put it right up there with halloween and the thing as one of carpenter's all-time best films and that's it just for me just gets better and better there are things that happen in it that will scare the hell out of you actually if, if mm. you know to, to be to be frank and also just what's happening and the whole de the debates that are going on because there's thought put into this. This is not just a horror film. There's thoughts put into what's happening and where is it coming from. And you have a man who, who believes in God against somebody who is, who is a, a, you know, at best an agnostic. And they're sort of squabbling over, over what is it science, is it God, until it gets to that ending. And it, it blows you away once you, once you, as it builds and you are on the edge of your seat. From the time they walk into that into that church right up to the very end i mean it, it really as is as much as the fog is underrated i think prince of darkness might be criminally underrated in uh, john carpenter's uh, filmography oh my gosh dude what have i done with my life <laughs> well i was gonna say josh you still have two to go you can rethink them no one's gonna no one's gonna know i already have these ones set i could have definitely rearranged the bottom five though um, I know, Dave, this came up on HMP very briefly when we discussed uh, Lucio Fulci's Gates of Hell's trilogy. Oh, okay. It came up when we did our Science Goes Too Far episode, I think, in kind of the science versus religion discussion. Okay. And I was able to actually visit this church a couple of years ago with Matroid, and we talked about it a bit uh, when I returned from that trip. So, oh, that's nice. awesome. Uh, but I don't, I don't think this has ever had a feature review on the show, Ooh. and this is definitely something that's long overdue. Can I say the controversial oh, yeah. thing now? Yeah. Uh, I've seen it once, and I don't remember liking it. I'm just being honest. Like, I don't, I remember very little about it. I don't know what, I was in a bad mood. I don't know if I got home from work and I was just feeling crappy. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but I just remember watching it. I can remember the house I was living in, my wife and I were married, so I saw a little later. Uh, obviously, I'm a, I can't think of another carpenter movie from the 80s i don't love you know that that i couldn't at any point put yep. in my top 10 of all fav your favorite movies of all time except for this one and i don't know what it was about it because on paper i should love everything about this movie mm. and yet it never like i said i saw it once i only saw it the one time and so i came to it much later than all the other carpenter stuff i would love to revisit this 
yeah. with a set of frustrations. Because I remember almost I remember Alice Cooper playing a homeless guy, and I remember a mirror, yeah. and that's re- and, and Donald Pleasance is in it, right? And that's all I got. Yeah. I, I really don't yeah. remember anything else of of import about the movie other than a feeling like I don't remember liking it because if I had, I would own it and have watched it multiple times. Yeah, I didn't like it the first time I saw it either, but I was probably in seventh or eighth grade when I saw it the first time. And I remember seeing this again, either late in high school, early in college, and just it really worked for me that time. So um, we we definitely need to have this as a future review soon on the show. Yeah, uh, I I don't know what the topic would be. We've already kind of done science versus religion a little bit. Um, the uh, Blake Snyder book, which is a screenwriting book called Save the Cat, mm-hmm. we've talked about a lot previously on the show one of his film writing formats he calls monster in the house. Hmm. And um, it's basically the idea that you're trapped in a location with a monster. Yeah. And the, when I think of this film, I think of the relic, I think of Wishmaster. Ooh, yeah. There's some kind of shared DNA in those films. that would be fun to discuss. Absolutely. I think it has a lot in common with Hellraiser as well, actually. From what I remember of it, I could see that. Yeah. All right. So you guys want to jump into, to Wolfman's number two. Mm-hmm. Sure. Prince of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's now prince of darkness now i i have accepted the fact that i left this off my list and it was an error but i'm continuing forward as though that didn't happen uh my number two was a film that i remember when we did our horror movies for little monsters episode back in uh episode 97 there were a lot of people who were surprised that this didn't make my number two again it's a comedy horror film and i considered not putting it on the list but i'm in the goddamn club aren't i <laughs> monster squad <laughs> yes <laughs> yes 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 <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know what else i can say about it that the joel didn't already say i think um you mentioned the dracula i love the performance of dracula in this film i don't the costume is a little bit too much in the uh halloween store costume realm for me but i but i agree with you the performance is top notch that's what i'm talking about yeah for me it's frankenstein's monster it is just on the next level. I mean, it's maybe it's it rivals Karloff in my opinion. I think it's it's so strong. Yeah, Tom Noonan was great. Yeah, he was fantastic. Tom Noonan is amazing. I, and then the character designs of the Gilman again, the classic Gilman, especially coming out of nowhere, especially for you know being an original creation. There's almost no beating it. But this is an incredible reworking of that character design. It's just an amazing modernization of that monster and then i'm a big fan of werewolves as people know my name's wolfman josh um i really like the wolf man style much mm-hmm. more than something that's more wolf-like and i think uh, there have not been a lot of great wolf men and i think this is maybe my favorite wolf man design uh, yeah in any awesome movie so yeah we didn't even mention the mummy that makeup is awesome too that is that's my favorite mummy makeup. We talked about that a lot on Universal Monsters cast. But, yeah, um, I'm so happy that's in your top three. I was going to be upset with you if it wasn't at, at least on your list somewhere. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my number two. Now this one has battled for number one because honestly, this movie at any given moment is in probably easily my top five, sometimes my top three of movies. Period. I just I love this movie. And I know it might not work for everybody. And in fact, a lot of people would make the argument, well, is it a horror movie? Is it really? Here's my argument. It's a post-apocalyptic movie. Its original title, which is going to give it away if you know what the original title was, but I'm just going to say it, Teenage Comet Zombies. (laughs) And it deals with a contagion that causes people to turn into zombie-like creatures that want to kill you and for all intents and purposes eat you. And it has a creepy 
zombie-like kid in it and uh he's terrifying so i would argue yes it very much is <laughs> but it's also one of my all-time favorite movies hands down and that is from 1984 night of the comet nice yeah awesome. i love this movie it's just like people under the stairs to me and that i can't even explain exactly what it is about it like why it, it hit me right at the right time and then every time i revisit it i just get so filled with i don't know if it's just it's like the most wonderful comfort food <laughs> i just i love it so much i love the performances i love that you have these two sister characters that are on the surface the, the superficial surface oh they're just a couple valley girls one of them just wears a cheerleader outfit yeah and she also uses an uzi and kicks all kind of ass so it's just it it is it is fantastic i had the honor many you know to do the name drop thing uh many moons ago i think it's like the third episode of forgotten flicks jason and i got kelly maroney uh, who play who plays samantha belmont to nice. come on forgotten flicks uh he loves to rub my nose in the fact to this day that i confess to her that she helped jump start me into puberty uh when i when i finally <laughs> i did see this movie uh, oh man yeah I, I i told her that yeah i did so i was being honest i was just being honest and uh yeah it uh uh, I just I love this movie so much. It's just wonderful. My I remember my dad. You know, again, this is one of those my mom wouldn't have wanted me to see, but my dad let me watch this on HBO or something. And I just I, everything about it. I, and it's funny, I don't even remember it ever really scaring me, scaring me, other than that idea of being the last people on earth. Like that conceptually freaks me out. But the movie itself, there's a couple of good scares in it. And other than the kid part, because uh, he's just creepy, it's is not terrifying but it's just it's got this wonderful vibe it is just so 80s it's just oh love the movie so much yeah i it's one i quite enjoy too i think we have brought it up on a previous zombie episode in passing but i looked um, it up to see if it was on the uh, site mentioned anywhere and i couldn't find an episode where it was mentioned yeah we definitely didn't feature review it would have been it would have been kind of just in a thematic discussion you know what i think you know what it came up on it was the uh black friday episode oh, we talked about the mall okay. fantasia idea oh, yeah. of just kind of like going in and like getting these fur coats and you know like all that kind yeah of stuff. I, I see a double i see a double feature night of the comet and chopping mall both starring kelly maroney just saying well there you go, there you go. so chopping mall was one of the feature reviews yes, on, the, yes. on the black friday episode people check that out if you like joel's suggestion we've got some good talk on there all right so our number one guys we are here number one of the 80s now i'm gonna be curious do we have any crossover? I will be shocked if either of you have my number one. Like, I will literally eat the hat that I'm not currently wearing. Uh, I'm definitely going to not have a crossover on my number one either. Okay. Okay. So let's see what happens here. Dave, what is your number one of the 80s? My number one of the 80s is it, it has been mentioned already, but um, toward the beginning of the show, we, met, we talked about it on episode 138, Winter with Stephen King. And at that time, we had a listener, I'm pretty sure, post in the comments that, good, now that you've talked about this, you don't have to talk about it anymore, because I guess it came up a lot in previous episodes. It is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, for me, just a, just a great Very film, nice. a masterpiece. And if you want to hear us really rave about it, go back to episode 138, and apparently all 137 episodes prior to that, if this person is to be believed. <laughs> uh, but it is... Uh, it's a masterpiece. It really is. And um, I love it. 
Fantastic, Dave. Yeah, that is that is a great pick. I love that movie a lot too, and and I think it's just beautiful, and it's always disturbing every time I watch it. And, and then once you you watch any sort of real breakdown and analysis of what it may or may not be about, it starts to mess with your head even more. Yeah. All right. What do you got, Wolfman? What is your number one? If you and I have the same number one, I literally will eat my hat. I, I'm saying it right here, right now. I will eat no, my hat. There, there's no way we have the same number one okay. because uh, from the guy who said Alien might not be a horror movie, I definitely know that you're not <laughs> going to put this comedy mystery at your number one horror movie on your list. Here's the thing. Um when you talk about movies, you would be crushed if you could never see again. This is the first movie that came to my mind. This is the movie that is maybe the most special to me of any movie in existence. Uh, another comedy murder mystery on this level that's similar to that would be Clue, but The Burbs is my favorite movie ever made. Like I just, it's nice. taken me a long time to come around to that. But over the last two or three years, I've really realized that if there's ever a go to movie that I need, to watch for comfort for fun for uh, to show people who maybe haven't seen it. Cause it happens to be a lesser seen film. The burbs is always my number one go-to movie. I, there's something about the magical quality of that movie. It was during a writer's strike. And so there's a lot of improv in the film. I, Bruce Dern is one of my all time favorite actors. And I think this is his best movie by a long shot. Um, he just, even though he's a supporting character, he shines at his brightest in this film. Corey Feldman's a lot of fun in this. Rick Duckman's a lot of fun in this. Tom Hanks, I think this is my favorite Tom Hanks movie. And I and I love that it's surrounded by what is my favorite setting I'm finding for any movie. The all-American neighborhood. I was raised in the American suburbs. And I so I think films like Goonies, like The Monster Squad, like The Lost Boys, that feature some kids who go on a fantastical adventure and have to fight monsters or have to solve a murder. Now this isn't children. This is man children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Are, uh, adult men who, and I think maybe that is why this has solidified as my favorite film, because I am now a man child <laughs> age. And, um, and so it really, you know, I've kind of grown into my appreciation for this film over those others that I just mentioned, but I love when something fantastical is happening in suburbia to me that's where it's at and i can't think of a film that makes me more happy than the burbs and uh my number one nice i i had not seen this in its entirety um until you were talking about i guess a couple years ago josh i said well i gotta sit down and watch the whole thing i don't i know i've seen it in bits and pieces and yeah that's suburbia it's that suburbia feel because i grew up in the suburbs as well and i i laughed out loud at that scene at the beginning with the little dog where the guy sent his dog to Bruce Stern's house to do its business. Um, Bruce Stern comes out and steps it because it reminded me as a kid. One time I woke up, I looked out uh, the, the, the front window of our house on the second floor. I see my father in his bathrobe walking across the street and throwing something onto the neighbor's lawn. And when he came in, I said, what happened? He said, he sent his, his dog, did it, you know, his, well, I'm not going to say exactly what he said in our yard. So I gave it back to him and he walked, instead of putting it in the trash, he walked across the street and threw it on the neighbor's yard. (laughs) 
that scene had me remembering that and, and laughing, but it, it really does capture the, the, the suburbia and everybody sort of in everyone else's business <laughs> knows everything about everybody and um, obviously exaggerated, but it's, it's still the characters were, were great. And I did like Corey Feldman as well. I thought he was really good in this also. So good. You talk about that story in Gremlins. Uh, this is another great example of that from Joe Dante, where you have this tale about a guy in the suburbs who murdered his whole family and stacked their bodies in the basement. And then suddenly, and then people around the neighborhood started smelling this weird smell coming from the house. Yes. They didn't know what it was going to be. And it's just another one of those great satellite stories um, right. that Joe Dante does so well. There's also for me, it's the scene where um, Tom Hanks is eating breakfast and his son comes up and he says, uh, you know, his friend saw the neighbors digging graves in their backyard, you know, and you think <laughs> that just reminds me of childhood so much. Like you hear this rumor that someone in the neighborhood is doing something creepy and it just kind of gets passed around through the neighborhood kids. Right, and right. Nobody quite believes them. In this case, again, it's the men children who decide to vault over the fence and dig up their neighbor's backyard to see if they can find bones <laughs> in the neighbor's yard. I don't know. It's, uh, it, it's weirdly a film about men in their forties and fifties that takes me right back to like fourth and fifth grade. <laughs> Yeah, Josh, I remember you came on. Was it Forgotten Flicks or Retro Movie Geek at that point? It was Retro Movie Geek. Okay. We just talked about this. Yeah, you came on and uh, you covered it with us. I knew it was one of your favorites. And I think prior to that, had I had I seen it before? I'm trying to remember because I know I didn't see I came to this movie really late. I was always aware of it. I always knew about it. But for whatever reason, I just never saw it. And which is really surprising to me because on paper, again, this is one of those that I would have absolutely seen when I was a kid. So I don't know how I missed it. I just did. And I remember I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I also had shown it to my kids when we were preparing for that show. And it's a movie that, yes, on paper, you can say, oh, it's starring Tom Hanks. And it's obviously, you know, a fun comedy. Huh? It's gets pretty intense and disturbing in a couple of key scenes because they had nightmares. I mean, kids came and woke me up over some things that they saw in this movie. So wow. yeah, they really got freaked out. And so yeah, there's some fun human sacrifice and, um, well, and also Texas it's a chainsaw massacre yeah, references that, I, in it. Yes. Yeah. I think there was that. And also exorcist, right? Didn't they show like a clip from the exorcist as well? Yeah. And so you yeah. had those moments. And of course I had, either I hadn't seen it before at that point, or it'd been so long since I had seen it. I completely forgot about that. And as a result, my wife was not thrilled with me. And <laughs> because I didn't have time to tell them to cover their eyes. And, and so they were freaked out. And I do feel like when you look at the story, if you if you were to just write it out as it is, this could go either way. I mean, this could be a very dark, disturbing, scary horror flick straight up. Or you cast you know, Rick Dukeman and, and uh, Bruce Dern and Tom Hanks and, and Carrie Fisher yeah. and these people and you make it Slight, you know, we put that Joe Dante spin on it. But, you know, lest we forget, Joe Dante did The Howling, which I think few people would be, uh, most people would be hard-pressed to not call a straight-up horror film and a fantastic right. werewolf movie. So I, I, while he's always had that comedic sensibility to his stuff, there's always this darker edge. And I, and I really have always appreciated that about That clip uh, with the human sacrifice was from the movie Race with the Devil from 1975. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then yeah, and then besides just those clips, which you know that's it's not fair to call it a horror movie because it shows clips from three other horror movies in it. (laughs) There are just some fun moments where they're like they're in the basement. This again reminds me of my childhood. Like they're like, okay, your our neighbors are Satanists. What are we gonna do about it? Let's get this book about Satanism and read it. And they freak each other out. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just feels like childhood in the eighties to me, just suspecting something weird is going on in the neighborhood. And I, I love it. So well, especially that type of thing. Cause you're talking about the era of satanic panic. So yeah. it fits perfectly. Yeah. So uh, this was, yeah, it was retro movie geek episode 86. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And I think that was a fun discussion that we had over there. Yeah, for sure. I do want to let people know that the uh, Shout Factory release of this, it's a, it's actually called Shout Selects, which I'm not sure what that is. I guess it's a watermark of Scream and Shout Factory. Um, but they put out a beautiful Blu-ray of this on Shout Selects. And then it's also streaming for free with your Prime membership on Amazon right now, so you can check it out for free if you have that service. Um, I really recommend people watch it. It's a great movie for this time of year. It's It feels like your neighborhood on Halloween. It's a lot of fun. Okay, guys, here we go. My number one, I will say that anybody who's been listening, who's, who's made it through this whole episode and hasn't given up on us yet, has probably, if, if they are like me, because this would have been me, if I were you listening right now, I've been like, really? Nobody, not one of you has what might, could arguably be one of the most influential, important horror films of the 80s and possibly beyond for good or bad whether you view it as a good or bad thing is irrelevant it is an important movie in its influence and i watched it again recently and i will say it is an excellent horror movie and it is one of my all-time favorites even though it was not on my actually no no it was it was not (laughs) I was going to say, was it on my top 10? It can't be because it wouldn't be on this list. Uh, it was not on my top 10 list. But honestly, after rewatching it again, I would have to go back. It would be next to impossible for me to pick a movie that's currently on my top 10 to remove and replace with this one. But I've thought about it on a personal level. So my pick from 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I'm not surprised. I figured I had a feeling this was going to be on your list, Joel. I didn't know if it was going to be number one, but I knew this would probably be on your list. Yes. I love this movie. I love Freddy. I love everything about it. I mean, I've made no uh, apologies. I'm a massive Craven fan. I love the ideas that are in this movie. It is creepy. It is unsettling. I saw this a right almost a right around the same time that I saw Night of the Living Dead because it was with a friend of mine who was about a year or so older than me and he his grandmother's house was down the road from my grandmother's house and so I'd go visit my dad and while my dad wasn't particularly on top of everything I was watching he definitely wasn't when I went to go over to a friend's house so I went there and his grandparents or his uncle or somebody had all these VHS tapes and I remember they had uh, we watched Night of the Living Dead we watched Nightmare on Elm Street and Life Force which, you know, when you're 11 years old, you definitely need to see that. And then <laughs> the, uh, and I also right around the time saw Day of the Dead. So to say that, uh, yeah, that, that was jumping in the deep end of the pool. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, but this one always stuck with me. I've always found it haunting. You know, I know throughout the years, some people have, you know, made comments about, you know, Lingen Camp's performance. I love her. I think she's great in it. I, I just think Freddie. It's so important to the genre, especially in the 80s, that 
you know, he is the icon. Like he is to horror. I don't even know. I'm trying to think of a good enough analogy like of the 80s, like what Jaws would have been in the 70s in the sense that all you knew, like right. you said before, Josh, it's you know the character, you you know the the the, the finger knives, you, you, you may never see the movie, but you are fully aware of who the heck Freddy Krueger is. So I am a fan yep. of the sequels. I'm actually watch, re-watching them in order. I know you two are probably thinking, why? Why are you doing that, Joel? But I don't know. They're on, <laughs> hey, you know what? They're on Shudder. I mean, this isn't even a spot for Shudder that I know of right now, but this is a, I'm just saying, they're all on, I think one through six are on Shudder right now. They're like, what the hell? So I put one on the other day and I started watching. I was like, God, I forgot God, how much I freaking love this movie. I sort of watch it too. I was like, no, is it perfect? Of course not. Is there a lot of subtext there that they will never convince me they didn't know was there? Uh, sure. But it is a great movie and it's got the one of the greatest lines in horror movie history, in my opinion, which is, you've got the body, I've got the brain. <laughs> I love that. I love that crap. So I, and three- I only know that from the Fresh Prince song, but oh, well, yeah, and, 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 well, yes, and of course, and that is a great song. And uh, three, I think is great. I love four. I even like five and six for that. And I think seven is great, especially when you consider that, you know, it's a movie that Craven made so close to the time that he's about to make Scream. And when you figure all the meta stuff that's in it, it's just, it's such, it's a cool connection to me. So yeah. uh, I'm a massive fan. I love, love, love A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, yeah. We, we cover this franchise review, I'm sure. Uh, another franchise review that joel was not particularly happy with us um, <laughs> I, i'm not saying to. that i almost stopped talking to you guys but i am i'm, I'm not not saying that <laughs> i'm just kidding no you were you were not um you you were obviously not as big a fan as i am i, I get that uh and i feel like there were certain movies in the series you guys liked uh and and and, and there was a couple that i remember you guys liking that i was thinking why do you guys like that one more than this one but anyway the point is i remember i feel like you were harder overall on child's play if i remember correctly but maybe i'm remembering it wrong yeah. i don't know probably probably yeah, yeah. i mean I'm, they were harder for me to watch definitely the child's play movies i i'm not a fan a fan of freddy he was ubiquitous to the 80s and so i i get it i just i don't like there's something about his character that um that I don't love. And I would say in this film in particular, it's, this is kind of right before he gets great. And then um, he kind of like started here, got good and then got worse again. <laughs> and I think for me, that sweet spot, if I was going to put a movie from this f franchise on my list, it would have been dream warriors. Sure. But uh, I, yeah, I, it's, I can't argue with this. I think it's a classic horror film. It's one that every horror fan should see at least once. The ideas, and I'm glad you said that, because for me, yes. that's what it's all about. Yes. That, the ideas in this movie are so exciting as a horror fan. I'm not completely convinced by the execution on the rest of the franchise, but I did find, you know, I tried to go in completely open-minded to this, knowing that this was a franchise that I had never enjoyed before, and I quite enjoyed the first movie. Really enjoyed the second movie, which a lot of people were surprised by. Uh, really enjoyed the third film. And then it kind of went down from there, but I, you know, I absolutely, for me, I saw a lot of value in Freddy's dead and new nightmare. I mm -hmm. thought those were really interesting movies yeah. as well. So. Hmm. And I'm, I, I, I do love the first one I do. And I love the third one as well. I was big fans of both of those films. Um, but I am a big fan of the first one also. So, and I, I did have a feeling you were going to be putting this on there, Joel. <laughs> I really did. I knew this was probably going to make your list. I didn't know it'd be number one, but I knew I, figured it was going to make your list. It was between this and Night of the Comet. They went back and forth multiple times all the way to the end for mm. some reason. But I kind of nice. thought that only one reason this one eked it out. Night of the Comet, I actually, if I'm like someone said to me, they put them both in front of me and said, okay, you can only pick one of these to watch ever again. I'm picking Night of the Comet. I'm just being honest. But, wow. but 
I feel like as a straight up horror film that it, it's it's the level of importance it plays in the culture of the 80s and of horror in general. You know, I mean, just if you think about it, while obviously Halloween and Friday the 13th influenced franchises, you know, if you really look at a lot of the movies that come after, like in the later part of the 80s and into the 90s, when people were not just trying to make a great horror film that, oh, it happened to be a hit, so let's make a franchise out of it. They were trying to make another Freddy. I mean, every once in a while, very few of them, actually, when you think about it, were trying to make another Jason or Michael, because most of them, I think, I think like Doctor Giggles or Brain Scan. I mean, a lot of those movies, Leprechaun, they're they're they've one liners and they're smart at you know. But if that original Freddy though, he's really creepy. I mean, he is straight up, yeah, terrifying at times in that original film. And even in two, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a look to him in two that I find so creepy and menacing uh, at times. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, ask you the same question I asked Dave about Poltergeist. Did you see the remake? I have seen the first uh, 15, 20 minutes of the remake. And you know, it's funny. Know we've talked about this before. But, and I, and yeah. I, and it's funny. I don't remember turning it off because I hated it. I just think I got distracted. And then again, and it may have been one of those Netflix disc situations where then I never got back to it. And I was like, oh crap, I need to send this back and I'll get to it later kind of thing. I feel like it was right around because when did that come out? Like 2011, 10, somewhere in there, wasn't it? Uh, 2010. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it would, you know, it would have been in that ballpark for me. And, and I feel like I just, and I never bothered. And honestly, the, the image, I saw scenes from it. And I remember thinking that while Jackie Earl Haley was the one who played Freddie, right? He is a fantastic actor, but I don't know if it's because they were trying to go so realistic with the presentation of him. I found that as, un, not as appealing. I, I think there's, it's almost, and, and I say, I, I think I now have a good analogy for this. It's like the new Lion King, okay? Is it visually amazing what they were able to do with CGI? Sure. But if I show you a pic, a series of pictures of a lion, and I'm totally stealing this from a, a YouTuber I saw do this because I thought it was hilarious. He basically said, here's a picture of a lion happy. Here's a picture of a lion scared. Here's a picture of a lion, uh, uh, you know, frustrated. And it's all the exact same picture because it's a lion and they don't make an expression. But where you go to the original Lion King, he, you know, they make faces because they're two dimensional. And I think that that little bit of a difference between the original Nightmare on Elm Street and certainly the series and the remake is what I don't like. I like, I want Freddy to be a little hyper realistic. I want him to be a little, not cartoonish necessarily, because I really, I agree. I look, I admit they get ridiculous at times, but it's, it's still, there's something about the character that I want to be more expressive and, 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 and like dreamlike, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need him to look like an actual victim uh, from a burn ward. And, and like, and, and as a result, I think they, they did something to like his voice was supposed to be more indicative of that. And I just, I find that to be, not as appealing as a dream demon who just has that look. Sure. It's not a bad idea. I mean, it's a good instinct. It just unfortunately didn't maybe work out as well as that's a smart way to approach it as a filmmaker. It's unfortunate that the uh, resulting uh, character is not as exciting for fans of the original. Sure. Right. Um, for anyone who wants to hear kind of our take on the 80 slashers, I can't recommend highly enough our four episode coverage of the 1980 slasher movement. Uh, that was really fun. We did that from episode 101 through 104, kind of our celebration of 100 episodes. And yeah, we covered the entire decade. And uh, we would do a couple of years for each 
episode, we talk about all the movies that came out in that year, and then each pick one film that we loved from that year to feature review. And I think those episodes turned out really great. I, I agree. And, and what's funny is we were originally only supposed to do two. Right. And as we were doing, we're saying, you know what? This is just, it's it's taken too long, but it's 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 working great. So why don't we just extend it? And Greg Amortis was uh, g- good enough to uh, make the time for all four episodes. And um, yeah, that, I agree. I think that was a, that's a high mark. Uh, that, uh, I, I loved those episodes as well. And I think we delved about as deeply into the 80s slashers as, as you can. Yeah. And it was as a fan of HMP, I listened to every episode of, of that and it was fantastic. And I don't think I've ever had the honor of being on a show with Greg Amortis, but I will say I love just his enthusiasm and how unabashedly mm-hmm. just, and just, he loves these movies. Like he, there's there, you know, not that long ago, Josh, you, and I meant to respond to you. So I apologize uh, here publicly <laughs> that I didn't, uh, that, uh, you, you know, there was a tweet, I guess that somebody made a comment about this idea of not, you know, okay, we don't want to call them guilty pleasures. So, you know, right. it, you know, it's something's not a sentimental favorite because if you see it later in life, it's not so much sentimental. It's just, you saw it and you liked it, but you feel kind of guilty about it because of whatever. My answer to yeah, that, that was Andrew the blind. Okay. And he said, what do we call a film that, uh, if we're not going to say guilty pleasure, what do we call a film that came out this year? <laughs> you call it a movie that came out this year. You loved, and you don't owe anybody an apology for it. That's what you call it. <laughs> sorry i'm just i don't know it's just like the older guy it's like because my thought is this a anybody who's a fellow fan should get that anybody who you know like you said josh to you the burbs is like your favorite movie and it took you a while to you know to admit that to yourself that in a way that's sad no that is your favorite freaking movie you don't have to apologize for that i don't apologize for the fact that i love night of the comet or night of the creeps or you know people under the stairs i know and i get that it's not for everybody but it doesn't have to be man you know that's why there's more than one flavor of ice cream is one of my buddies likes to say you know there you know (laughs) there's enough out there for everybody it's cool you know we don't have to get and and i think that you don't have to feel embarrassed. I mean, for God's sake, I gave Crawl a 10 out of 10 and I don't care. I loved it. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just how I feel about it. Nice. So, you know, one thing I'd like to pitch to you guys, maybe for this time next year, or something we could sprinkle in over time. Um, you know, there are a lot of these franchise reviews that Joel was not able to join us for that, as we've seen tonight with Child's Play and A Nightmare on Elm Street, that you would have been probably more qualified to be a part of those episodes than we were although you know we gave it our best and we spent you know 20 hours on each of these franchises it might be interesting to do something like we did with godzilla where we just did one episode that was a franchise yeah. overview yeah i love that it'd be fun to revisit each of these franchises with joel and yeah, just say let's let's do a franchise overview of sure. the nightmare on elm street films in one episode sure. and, and talk through bomb because i noticed i wasn't able to talk i missed the episode where we did Freddy's dead and new nightmare. And I would say those were two of the films I was more excited to talk sure. about, um, of that franchise. So it'd be fun to revisit, do that. I would love it. And, and I will say that, uh, I will be happy to, and I'm already in the process of doing it now of rewatching these all on shutter, at least up through six. And I guess seven, I will, I will find elsewhere, but, uh, do not feel obligated. Either of you, <laughs> If you don't want to, to, uh, to rewatch them, uh, other than maybe Freddy's dead and new nightmare in your case, Josh. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I would love to, to do that with you guys. And I will re-listen to that episode as well, or those episodes that you guys did. 
I wouldn't mind doing that. Be, that's a good idea. I think we'd do that. But I think then also we have to have uh, Joel also do the Puppet Master in the Hellraiser. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Hey, I was here for Hellraiser 1. Yeah, maybe. I'll pass on the Puppet Master ones. No offense. The Tiny Terrors guy passing on Puppet I know. Master. Uh, well, yeah, what's that about? I know. Isn't that weird? Like You'd think I would love that series. <laughs> I think I've only ever seen like one or two of them. <laughs> I don't know why. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Odd. But the point being, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street rules. Freddy, Freddy rules. Just saying it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there are rumors that, again, you know, like there are every year, there's going to be another Friday the 13th film. So if that ever happens, materializes, that would be a good excuse to do that. Rumors there's going to be a new Scream series. So that right. would be a good opportunity yeah. to do that. Awesome. For sure. Okay. Well, I guess I'm the only one with an honorable mention, I believe. Oh, yeah, that's true. We probably should get your honorable mention in, Dave. I get a single honorable mention. Okay. So since Dave um, is the only honorable mention, let's hear it. What do you got? And it, it's a quick one. It's a quick one. We discussed it on episode 146, the Gates of Hell trilogy. It's Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. Oh, cool. Nice. Uh, for me, the best of that trilogy. It's the middle chapter. And it just has everything. It's just like a kitchen sink horror film. And um, and I love it. It's, that and Zombie are my two favorite uh, Fulci movies, obviously based on the list from the last two episodes. <laughs> Uh, but that was episode 146 where we discussed the Gates of Hell trilogy. I go into that in a little more detail. Excellent. Or we all go into that in a little more detail. Cool. Then that wraps up our 1980s top 10 horror movies lists. Uh, let us know what you think. Be sure to leave uh, comments. Le- leave us your lists in the comment section and know that there should be no no shame or apologizing for what you love. Okay. This is a, a very big tent. <laughs> says the jag off that maybe said alien wasn't a horror movie so i'm just saying <laughs> that 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 uh it is a big tent so be sure to leave your comments and whatever movies matter to you we want to read them so uh, it was you, a lot of fun guys yeah it was that so, was yeah, definitely a lot less crossover than i thought there would be too and that's one of the things i love about these these rules is there's just it really forces you to, to dig deeper and uh and really look, and, and you don't get as, as much crossover. I think it's a lot more interesting for, for everybody, for us and for the listeners. It's a great format. I can't wait to uh, do the 90s next. I'm actually looking forward to the 90s more than I thought I would be. <laughs> I am too. I am too, which is surprising. I'm really looking forward because I think I got some uh, interesting picks on the, for the 90s. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think um, the picks are so standard in the 80s. It took a lot of work for me to sure. kind of like come up with a list that wasn't just the most obvious picks. I feel like in the nineties, we'll be like, we're going to be all over the place. Yeah. And I could safely say, I will relatively safely say there's going to be minimal crossover, <laughs> at least on my list. I I have a feeling I, again, much like several of my picks that I knew weren't necessarily your guys' favorites. I have a feeling I'm going to have a few on mine uh, that might be based on pure nostalgia that uh, you guys may not have on yours. Hmm. I'm looking forward to it. As am I. Awesome. So that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow Wolfman on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. Wolfman also appears on the Gods and Monsters, a Universal Monsters Cast podcast. You can follow Gods and Monsters at Monsters Cast on Twitter. And be sure to read Dr. Shock's written reviews over at DVDinfatuation.com. You can follow Doc on Twitter at DVD Infatuation. Doc also appears on the Land of the Creeps podcast. 
And be sure to check out my other show, Retro Movie Geek, at RetroMovieGeek.com, where we're talking about movies that are 20 years old or older. You can follow Retro Movie Geek on Twitter, at RetroMovieGeek, and you can check out some of my older stuff over at ForgottenFlix.com. Oh, and of course, one other place you can find me is at Spooky Empire at the Tampa Convention Center. I will be there on Sunday, November 3rd. I will be wearing a long sleeve horror movie podcast tee. It'll have the green horror movie podcast label on it. I am the bald guy. So come find me. I'm hoping I will have some stickers, some H&P stickers or something to hand out to our listeners. So come and find me. Introduce yourself. I would love to meet all of you that are going to be there. So please be sure to come and find me if you get a chance. We love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. It's a wonderful group of people. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com where you can find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at horrormoviecast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And be sure to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 a month. Be sure to check it out at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode, when we'll be covering our top 10 horror movies of the 1980s. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Uh, I yeah, I didn't see those movies. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as big a fan either. I'm a huge fan of the original, but of the series itself, not so much. But that being the case, I do I know she, she was in so many of them. Holy yeah, crap. She, she's in a ton. Yeah, she's in a ton. Yeah, well, we probably should do a, a franchise that, review. You just got me excited about Saw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a fan of that movie too. It's a shame it's always the other Dylan brother. Yes, you know, exactly. Kevin Dylan, because I think he's 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 a damn good actor. Oh, he's good. He's really good. He really, really is. And you see it in this um, and you don't know that he's going to sort of be the lead. Something happens. Yes. Pretty early on in the movie that really shocked me when I first saw it. Yeah. Because you're expecting another character mm-hmm. to sort of take take center stage. 
and and I, I think what it did was it, it sort of kept the, the the spirit of the original and just updated it perfectly for the, for 80s. the decade. Yes, for the eighties. That's absolutely precise. Precisely I'm go right. Limb, and I think with Entourage under his belt, I don't think he's the other Dylan brother anymore. To be honest, like I think maybe not. He's maybe a not star now. in his own right at this point. Yeah, yeah, he really yeah, is. Good. Maybe not now. I mean, even you think of him in Platoon, he was amazing in Platoon. He's he's just he's a great actor. Yes, really is. Yeah. It really puts some interesting twists and turns on the original. If you're someone who's very familiar with the original, mm -hmm. I think it smartly kind of switches things up so that it feels familiar, but also fresh. I would have said that about the Pet Cemetery remake recently, though, too, and we didn't necessarily agree. <laughs> well, I, I will say, though, that well, there's, <laughs> there's a couple of key differences of why. You know, I think I feel like with Fright Night, I don't know that I would be, you know, quite so pure in, in, in my right. taking how, how the changes that they could make there. That said, my biggest hangout for why I didn't see it originally is I loved the idea of David Tennant being cast as Peter Vincent. But when I heard he was doing this kind of Chris Angel vibe, I was like, what? Because David Tennant to me, especially when I visualized him as Doctor Who or what have you, like he right. would have been so great as a horror host. And I know they were trying to go for a different feel and I get it's a different era and a different time and maybe audiences wouldn't relate as much to this sort of almost hammer-esque you know kind of kind of actor in this in this kind of campier environment but that was one of the things I love so much about that original that it just like oh well okay I'll see I'll catch it when I catch it kind of attitude but I will watch it because you guys said so because you guys are the ones that turned me on to the 2011 the thing which I know some people have their issues with but I had really put that one off you know I was like oh I never want to see that thing and then I saw it I was like I actually kind of like this movie, <laughs> so uh, I will give it a chance. Awesome. I was not a Doctor Who guy, and so this was actually, like, I didn't know who David Tennant was when he came on the screen the first time I saw uh -huh. this movie, you know? And uh, I really, it was, I thought it was, again, not as cool as the horror host thing by sure, a hundred miles. Sure. It's not, it's not better by any stretch in that sense. But it is interesting if you know the original really well. It's kind of like a fun way to riff on uh, what they've done. I, I will um, watch it. I will say that's probably my least favorite element of the new, or at least there's a lot of potential there that they don't necessarily delve into. This is really fresh in my mind because Fright Night was also in contention for my number 10 spot. And so I actually re-listened to our episode uh, 92 of Horror Movie Podcast this morning uh, before <laughs> making finalizing my list. So one thing I said on that episode that I would tell people about the remake is that um, I think it has the coolest vampire test scene that we've ever seen you know there's we see a lot of that like in the lost boys for instance they're using garlic and mirrors we you know it goes all the way back to the original dracula um trying to figure out if someone is or is not a vampire and i think the way that they pull that off in the remake is super cool it's cool. one of my favorite vampire movie scenes of all time that's but fantastic it's a really tense moment it really is in that film and it's it's handled so well and i do want to add that while it's been forever in a day since I've seen Fright Night Part 2, I do have the vague sense that I enjoyed it. I don't I did not love it nearly as much as the original, but I do remember enjoying it. But I will say I still own, and I it's from when it was originally released on video, one of my favorite posters, because it's so 80s, is the Fright Night 2 poster, where it's that minimalist white, just that stark white, and you've got the two eyes that are overly, you know, painted and eyeshadowed and those bright ruby red lips with the fangs. And it just says Fright Night Part 2 with the two fangs coming down, and that's it. It's just stark white with that image and there's something about it that's just so 80s and so perfect so i know that's not a fright night poster and the original fright night poster i think is fantastic as well i love that poster i'm super happy that 
virtually every single time I get in my car now. I'm happy slash little bit uh, regretting that my nine, almost 10 year old will say to me, dad, play Lost Boys music. And he wants to hear Lost in the Shadows and Cry Little Sister. Like, hey, it's like constant. And that, and he keeps bugging me about, can I watch it? Can I, I'm like, no. Now, I think, Wolfman, you actually said you've, haven't you shown your kids not to throw you under the bus or anything? But did you say- Oh, yeah. I showed my son this film when, it must have been four or five, but still, it's pretty young. But Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, he just, he loved vampires at that age and he had seen a bunch of other, but also, you know, I- uh, I don't even know if I should go on record saying I have a clean flicks copy of this movie. <laughs> go on. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 it takes off some of the hard edges. Yeah. I was about to say, know, I was about to say kids, reviewer. well, let's redefine irony. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I have about 300 clean flicks movies um, that we bought for, you know, sure, during sure, our research sure. portion of making that documentary. And uh, I grew up watching movies edited for television. Sure, me too. And exactly. that's how I watched exactly. a bunch of these, these things that I probably shouldn't have seen at that right. age. For right. sure. For so sure. Thought, I'm just going to grab a couple of these while I'm here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. what I did, what I did is I told him though, he, he, he was, there's a channel that I don't know if you guys get it or not. It's called comment. And some people seem to get it. Some people don't. I know they have a website as well. And they show a lot of old sci-fi horror stuff. And mm, I get I it. I, it. I, yeah. I actually pick it up over our uh, HD antenna and it comes out of Venice beach or something. And, and it's, it, it's apparently a national channel. I guess other people get it. So, What's cool is, is that every once in a while they will put like these 80s horror movies and stuff on. They had the gate and gate two on the other day. And uh, he was asking, he was like, well, if Lost Boys ever on there, would you let me? I'm thinking, well, you know what? I might. Because I've noticed that they either cut every, you know, the, the harder edge off of the stuff. It's, it's edited for TV. It's got commercials, the whole nine. So yeah, that's, uh, that, that makes more, now that you've, now that you've uh, disclosed the, uh, the version that you, <laughs> you showed him, because that was the thing I was like, I was like, eh, buddy, I don't know that you're quite ready for some of the stuff well, in that movie. Well, there's only the one murder scene that I feel is like pretty graphic and terrifying. The round the fire. Yeah. Yeah, and I think other than that, it, like I, I kind of also framed it as he loved films like Goonies and The Monster Squad, and I kind of put it in that group of films, you know. And he really yeah. responded to it in the yeah. same way. By the way, we just missed in Salt Lake City the coolest thing at the Fanex that um, you know the Sci-Fi Podcast guys did attend, but um, Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland got together for a lost boys fan experience oh. where you could go meet them together and get your photo taken with both of them. Oh, wow. Which is awesome. Yeah, they did, they awesome. did that at Megacon here in uh, May. So I guess they must be doing some kind of oh, tour. Really? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them were there. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that I, I would have thought that would be like a hell freezes over kind of thing. Sure. They would never do that. Yeah. So the fact that they're both willing to do that at this that's stage great. in their careers, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. That guy went on to direct The Church, The Sect, Cemetery, Cemetery Man, Man. Yeah. which are all great films, but Stage Fright is my favorite of Yeah, his. I knew his name from Cemetery Man because I remember reading coverage of that in uh, Fango. And that's another one that I've never seen that I've always wanted to see because I remember oh, reading I so much. Cemetery of, Man yeah, never seen well. it. I always wanted to see it. Read lots of coverage on it, but it, it was you know, in that time period because it was at yeah, 94. So it, I never could find it at one of my local video stores. And then well, as, it didn't come out in the U.S. until '96, and that yeah, that might be part of the problem. And uh, I just never could get a copy of it. So I mean, now I'm sure I'd be no problem to get a copy of it, and I'm reminded of it because of this. So uh, that's a great yeah, pick. Yeah, there man. are some good releases of it, I believe, as well. I I, I I know I own it. I can't remember, but I think there's like some some nicer quality Blu-ray releases. That's of it. really cool. Great pick. 
uh, it being Cemetery Man. There are, of course, also nice releases of Stage Fright. There's a great Blue Underground uh, release, for instance. Oh, cool. Not eight. I love eight as well. <laughs> I actually have an appreciation for eight as well, but <laughs> I, I rate four and six higher than than eight. I love eight, yeah. but it's not as high quality a film as worse. You know, it's funny. I feel like I've seen from beyond and without giving anything away, I just, the only image that I can remember from it is a certain character having some phallic symbol like thing coming from their forehead. Is that, am I right in, in that? <laughs> it, yes, there is yes. a scene like that. Y- in yes. This movie. Yes. Yeah. And so I very much remember that. Um, I am also a big, Stuart Gordon fan. I mean, I, me- I remember loving Fortress and King of the Ants that he made in the early 2000s. He did some stuff for Charles Band and Full Moon. He sure. did Castle Freak. Yes, yes, he did. Which I really enjoyed as well. The other one of his, and fitting with my Child's Play comments, I always loved was Dolls, which is another fantastic mm. and creepy fairy, dark oh, yeah. fairy tale type movie. So, uh, yeah. but that's a great pick, Dave. I mean, I, like I said, I feel like I need to revisit From Beyond because I always was a reanimator fan. I love Bride Reanimator. I remember really loving that movie too. Um, and, uh, but I definitely need to revisit From Beyond. What about, and what about, uh, what about Sleepy Hollow? Uh, Sleepy Hollow is outside of the era that I allowed myself oh, sure, to look. Sure. And it's a film that I really disliked upon first viewing, really? but it's, it's a movie I'm willing to revisit. Okay. It's it's I love Johnny Depp in that movie, but I didn't love the execution okay. of the scary elements. Okay. I guess, in that movie. okay. I think it'd be fun to revisit that one because uh, I, I enjoyed yeah. it quite a bit. Um, and it's Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I am never going to live down the alien thing. Am I ever? <laughs> I, I really should though. I should. I should never be able to live that down. That was such a stupid thing to say. I just. I deserved it. 